Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. It's episode 48, and we've got a great guest with us tonight. It's John Cusack from Cusack Music. Um, I know some people were making uh, John Cusack 80s actor jokes earlier when I posted this, and, I, and it's not that John Cusack. <laughs> it's, it's John Cusack from Cusack Music. And how are you doing, John? I'm doing good. I'm sure John's never heard that joke. Yeah, exactly. Is there an, is there an actor by the name John? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were like, the post and say anything things and everything. And <laughs> so that, but uh, thanks for joining us, man. See my response? No, I didn't see it. I, I, I actually did a full page magazine ad. I put it on your post because someone was putting those posts up. When I released my amps, I put a full page ad in Premier Guitar, where I went and found the almost the same car from from that movie, Say Anything, and I took a picture of me standing in front of the car holding the amp we were releasing up and up on top, just you know, just just like the Say Anything with the boombox. Had oh, <laughs> a full page ad of that, and uh, yeah, so somebody had posted that picture, so I posted that the picture of that ad. That's funny. Uh-huh. There you I go. never saw that. Neither did I. <laughs> I didn't see that either. Yeah. What 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 was interesting was I got a lot of phone calls from it, not from people that wanted to buy amps, but everybody in the industry who said, "Hey, that was a really cool ad." <laughs> you know, at that point, it was, at that point, I'm like, okay, is it just other builders that read Premier Guitar, or is there you know actual readers of that magazine, or is someone going to buy a pedal? Or buy right. an amp. <laughs> buy something. Yeah. Something. Exactly. Buy something, please. Hey, the ad was expensive. <laughs> Dave, I uh, I sent you the link. Oh boy. Okay. And uh, John, if you want the link of the actual video, I can send it to you where people have the chat, or you can just leave it to me and me and Dave. It's up to you. Okay. I can send. Yeah, it come on. Will it be an email? I'll send it in the in the conversation of this uh, Skype, actually. Okay. So I'm gonna send you the link right now. So about chat. Here we go. So while you're working on that, just make sure that the volume is uh, you mute the video when you open it, John. I clicked it. Yeah, there's and there's a little thing in the right hand corner uh, where you can pop out the chat, where you can get a big version of the chat. Yeah, the, the link didn't go anywhere. What happened? Hmm. See, this is me not knowing nothing. <laughs> the link was there, and I clicked it, and then nothing happened. Oh, really? Yeah. You, oh. Can you put the link up again? Yeah, I'll send it. No problem. Okay, here's open conversation. Is it in there? Yes. Ah, there it is. Okay. See, I'm learning this stuff. No problem. You'll be an expert on Skype by the time you're done with this uh, this this interview. <laughs> so um, so anyway, for for people for people who don't know, John um, runs Cusack Music. Uh, they have some awesome products, uh, great pedals. Uh, from what I understand, and John and I just met, but from what I understand from Dave and a lot of people in the industry, John is a uh, a genius in electronics. Uh, he's like the go-to guy people go to to talk to for certain things uh, on pedal building and everything. So I'm, looking, I'm really excited to get in, getting into all that. 
with you, John, um, and how you got into the business and what made you get, go into this crazy, crazy uh, industry, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, my line is, when, when did you decide that this was the wrong line of work? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who is in this line of work that's glad they did it? I don't know. Um, so where do you want me to start? Oh no, we'll 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 dive in. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious. I mean, you've been doing. Uh, how long has uh, Cusack Music been in business? Uh, since 2002. Okay, and it, was it always pedals, or was it? Um, how'd you how'd you start? Yeah, I started it uh, to build pedals. Um, I so I originally started Cusack Musical Electronics back in 19. I think it was 89. Uh, back when I was in college, and back then I was going to build guitar pedals or guitar amps. I wasn't sure, mm -hmm. and I was actually a NAM member back then, and uh, had totally forgotten about all of that. Went on and had an engineering career. Decided to start QSEC Music, and when I went to join NAM again. When I logged in, it already had an account for me under this QSEC Musical Electronics that I had kind of forgotten ever existed. That was a repair shop I ran uh, when I was in college, repairing equipment back then. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so I just renamed it QSEC Music and then, uh, yeah, started building uh, pedals at first. That's, that's awesome. So that's that goes way back, actually. So in college, you said, what, what year was it? 86? 89, I think it was, that I started that. 88 is when I started college. It was probably 89 is when I started the repair. I, when I first moved up to Mount Pleasant, this is Mount Pleasant, Michigan. When I first moved up there, I worked for the local music store, you know, as their repair tech. And uh, then at one point, I branched out and, and opened the shop in my own house so I could do repairs for the other music stores in the area. Um, and, you know, started branching out and doing more. I, I spent more time doing that stuff than actually at college. How'd you get into electronics? I mean, how'd you? I, so I grew up on a farm and uh, my dad ended up with a hardware store. So he had worked at like GM and they had done downsizing. So he got downsized. We started a family farm basically to survive, you know, made, made all our own food. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he had an opportunity to buy the local hardware store. So when he did that, I started working at the hardware store. This was probably late middle school when I started working at the hardware store. So I would, you know, fix screens and fix windows and thread pipe and, you know, all kinds of that stuff. And then at home, I would play around with electronics. I would just tear stuff apart and try to figure out how it worked. And every once in a while, I'd put something back together back then. You know, there was more tear, tearing apart than putting back together. Right. But uh, <clears throat> at one point, I started uh, taking repairs in at the hardware store. So most of what I repaired back then was electric fencers for farm, because, you know, this was a local farming community hardware store. So I repaired electric fencers and I repaired police scanners. Those were the main two things that people would bring into the hardware store for me to fix. Police scanners. That was like the big thing. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. And <laughs> like when I was in high school, a buddy of mine had the police scanner. Yeah. 
So one day, I, and I, I think the desk still exists at my parents' house, but one day I had a battery and some resistors and my ohm meter, which my 12th birthday, I got an ohm meter from my dad. And so, all right, cool. Now I can actually play with electronics. So I took this ohm meter and was playing with resistors and a battery and, and kept trying to figure out why the voltage was changing. And I derived this equation to, fig, to calculate how much voltage would be across the resistor. And then a couple years later, I got an electronics book and found out that thing was called Ohm's Law. So <laughs> I actually found out Ohm's Law just by playing around re with resistors, you know, and, and then found out it was a real formula that, that you know, was known in electronics. So, so since the time I was about 12, I was always playing with electronics and trying to understand how the stuff worked. That's really cool. Yeah, for me, I, 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 for, I, I always try to get into it, but I, it never worked. <laughs> I, just, I can never build anything that worked. So uh, that's super cool. So then from there, what, what, what happened? So, you know, I always repaired stuff. And when I, like I said, when I got to college, I worked at the local music store, uh, repaired a lot of stuff there, opened up QSEG Music Electronics, Branched off, worked for a local stereo shop, uh, fixed, um, you know, stereos, Walkmans. Do you guys remember Walkmans? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, fixed those things. Uh, the, the first little portable CD players came out back right about then, you know, where you could have a little battery-powered CD player with your headphones and was fixing those back in the day. Um and uh, just kept learning more and more about electronics. You know, the, the, the repair shop I worked at had what they called the dog shelf. That was the repairs where the tech would get frustrated and he'd just put it on the shelf because he just didn't want to <laughs> deal with it and he's going to look at it later. Right. And so I decided to start going through the dog shelf and I basically cleared off his dog shelf. And so the more I got into it, the more I understood and you know, realize this is something I'm good at. I, you know, electronics makes sense to me. So I just kept going further and further into electronics as, as you know, time progressed. So, um, at the time, probably this must've been early nineties. And I think, uh, David, you were maybe part of some of this. Okay. Heard. Um, Bruce Agnator started modding some of those MIGs, the MIG 50s. Yeah. Were you around for any of that? Or you did something with Agnator back in those days? I started, you know, when I, I became reacquainted with Bruce. I knew Bruce when I lived in Michigan. I had some stuff done by him when I was a kid. Um, but then we got reacquainted uh, probably around 1990-ish. Maybe a little after that, ninety-one ish. When he, when he first came out with the um, four-channel preamp, so that was that was essentially me. Uh, he had mod. He, he a good client of his, Randy Jacobs, who was and was not was the band was not was um, from, from Detroit also, and he had a Soldano preamp that Bruce had modified. And I think he mostly changed the second channel on the preamp and. Uh, and I was like, holy crap, this sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. 
So I called Bruce up and I go, I don't know if you remember me, but blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, I'm out here now and, you know, you got to do a preamp. You got to do a, a four channel preamp. Here's the idea. Clean, broken up fender, plexi-ish Marshall and a higher gain Marshall. And so that, we said, okay. And that became the IE4 preamp. Is that the modular one or was the modular? No, it was pre-modular. That, okay. that was early 90s. Okay. That's so anyway, he had brought those, the, the MiG, MiG-50s, isn't that what he started with? I think so, yeah. He, and he had brought those. those to the local heart, the, not hardware, music store. Uh, um, he was friends with the owner of the store at the time, uh, Ed Baird and uh, Pat Shepard were, I think, co-owners of the store at that time. And so that kind of piqued my interest even more. It's like, oh, this guy's doing it. Maybe I can do something, you know, and... And we talked back then about, you know, let's let's do something with pedals or amps or something. And at the time, nothing came of it. You know, I just I was in college at the time. I was, you know, still trying to figure out the rest of life. So so I kept working on equipment, you know, at the time. But, uh, you know, I would say Bruce was a pretty good influence as far as, you know, seeing somebody that took something else and kind of modded it and made it into something that was cooler. And that, you know, that, that always sparked my interest in that. Maybe I could do it too. You know, if this guy can do it, maybe I can do it. Um, but then, you know, I was young and at the time I was also working for a two way radio shop. So I fixed police radios, ambulance radios, you know, that kind of stuff. And, they got bought out and asked if I would come work full time. And I think at the time it was 12 bucks an hour. I don't know. At the time it seemed like a crap ton of money, you know, <laughs> yeah. back now and go, why did I do that? But so I dropped out of college to go work full time as a two way radio tech. And I did that for a couple of years. And, uh, realized, after an incident that I didn't want to be a radio tech anymore. I had installed and fixed two-way radios probably for four years at that time, three, four years, something like that. But I was installing a radio in a, uh, in a pickup truck. So every year, you know, the farmers and contractors or whatever would get all their new pickups and they would want new radios put in them. It was, this was like stuff we did all the time. So the certain model pickup, you knew where everything was. You knew where the wire harnesses were. You knew where you needed to put a hole in the firewall to get power from the battery up under the dashboard. This is this is all just simple stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to drill a hole in the firewall. There's wire harnesses on both sides of a firewall, right? So I had done it so many times that I just went under there. I'm like, yeah, I know there's nothing behind here. So I went and just drilled the hole. And on this particular truck, the harness had a little bit of slack in it. So it drooped down a little bit further than it had on any other one that I had worked on. And I drilled right through the middle of a wire harness. Oh. And new pickup truck. Oh, shit. So I, you know, I patched it. I, I had to splice each individual wire, you know, solder it and tape each individual wire, put it all back together. Got it back together put the radio in, had it all done before the guy even got back. He never knew what happened. But the very next day, I went into my boss and said, I don't think I want to do this anymore. 
this is this is you know I got lazy, you know basically I got lazy and complacent. This is something obviously that I don't want to do for the rest of my life. So I'm not quitting today, but I'm letting you know that I'm going to figure out what I want to do next. Hmm. And from there, I uh, took a job at Brunswick, the bowling company, and uh, was a technician there for a scoring system that they were designing. So they were designing a new scoring system, and I got hired in there initially as a technician. When I left there, I was an associate engineer, I think they called me. Um, so we were designing the scoring system. I designed the, the audio system for the intercom, which was interesting. The, the intercom was based on a, phone, a telephone system. Basically, I took how a telephone works and converted it to be used as an intercom system because it's multiple lanes in the bowling alley. It's basically a switching system with two wires. You can send power and get the audio back and forth. And, you know, from the outside, it didn't look like a telephone system. But basically, that's what it was underneath. Um, so, yeah, so I did that and then ended up at, in a, at a place called Robert Shaw in Holland, which is where I am now is in Holland. Ended up at a place called Robert Shaw Controls that designs and manufactures appliance controls. So ovens, microwaves, dishwashers, any of that kind of stuff. We designed and built that stuff here in Holland. So that's where I learned about uh, production, you know, designing for production, designing for volume. Um, a resistor was a big deal back then because we're going to build a million of these things. So if you put a resistor in that you don't need, that's a million resistors you're going to put in, you know, and learned a lot then about how to minimize designs, you know, what's really needed in the design and what isn't needed. Like what, what can I take out of this and have this thing still function? The other thing I learned from though that era was reliability. Um, and it's not so true today as it was back then, because this was early, this is probably 94 that I, I think that I started at Robert Shaw. Um, but, you know, I designed an oven control, and that oven control is supposed to last 25 years. You know, it's not supposed to last five years. It's supposed to last 25 years. I mean, think about appliances, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Everybody had a 20- or 30-year-old oven and refrigerator and dishwasher. They were originally designed to last a long time, and so the good, the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Now it's, now it's five years, maybe ten if you're lucky. Exactly. And GE actually, GE is one of was I never worked on any GE, but GE was one of our customers, and they got sued multiple times for things like their dishwashers. They were were notorious for designing them to survive just through a warranty period. You know, and they actually got sued and lost and had to pay, you know, to repair a bunch of people's dishwashers one time. Um, but I learned about a lot about reliability. Like, how do you design for reliability? And when when people and I, you know, it took me a while to realize it. But when people see the way I do a circuit board layout, they can tell that I did the layout. You know how they talk about bomb makers have a certain look or whatever and, you know, uh, or a certain way they do things. Uh, apparently that, uh, and it makes sense to me, but I never really thought about it, but it, it, it applies to circuit board layouts too. Um, 
And, you know, I, I used to hear a lot of times, oh, I just, I love the way your layouts are, the way they, they, they look and they route and this and that. And, you know, I just kind of thought, okay, that's, you know, that's just them trying to be nice to me or whatever. But then I, I had a customer who I was doing a layout for, and I was just out of time. I had too much to do. So I had one of my other guys finish the layout. And the customer called. He got the pedal and was, you know, sounded great, looks great, but you didn't do that layout. I'm like, what do you mean I didn't do that layout? He's like, this doesn't look like your layout. Hmm. And like totally called me out on it. And I like, I had no, I had, I, I can't deny it. No, you're right. I didn't do the layout, but how did, how did you know? He's like, cause I know what your layouts look like. So that was the first time I really understood how much, you know, layout is a personal thing. You know, you can see different people, how they lay out circuit boards and, and, you know, it has a personality to it. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Totally. So, so yeah, I keep getting sidetracked. That's kind of how my brain works. So. No, that's, 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 that's what the show's all about. So, so yeah, so you're working for the, uh, Baldwin or whatever. Robert Shaw. No, no, then you went to the, the, oh, the Brunswick. Brunswick. Run, well, you went to the appliance. Um, yeah, sorry. I have for some reason I had Baldwin on my head because I was keep. I always think about this amp I had to repair recently, a Baldwin exterminator. Oh, what is that? It was Neil Young's amp, and I can't even explain it. It's a, it's it's about four and a half or five feet tall, and it has like a fifteen, a twelve, and an eight in it, times two. Fifteen. It's 12. huge. Oh. It's huge. It has a handle that it's on top, one handle on top, and you like look at it. And I go, well, that handle's at my shoulder. So, how are you supposed to pick that up? Right. <laughs> it's just a cool looking. It looks like a bowling alley kind of thing, and you know, it's it's it. It, it was a great sounding solid state amp, but um, that he uses for, and has for years. And um, I don't know. It's just one of those things you looked at and you were like, God, that's cool. And then you heard it and you were like. Oh, now I want one. No. <laughs> <laughs> but holy crap, was that a nightmare inside? <laughs> what year was it? Seventies, got to be seventies, sometime in the seventies. Cool. Yeah. So it just looked cool. It looked like you needed to have a a room based around it, you know, like a seventies room or something with that sitting in the middle. <laughs> right. Okay, sorry. Anyway, <laughs> I'm on a tangent. We digress. <laughs> So where did you go from uh, the appliance? So from there, I ended up going to a place called True Heat that did uh, um, heating elements. So they just manufactured heating elements. That was their product. They wanted to design electronics to go with their heating elements to try to help sell heating elements, right? So we can provide you electronics to go with the heater. So I started their electronics group. Oh, okay. um, and uh, there was actually when I first really started doing layout work. Uh, when I worked at Robert Shaw, they were a bigger company. So I was an engineer. I designed the schematics. I did the troubleshooting. I did, uh, you know, the EMC testing, the lightning testing, the temperature test, you know, all the testing that it has to pass to be a UL approved product. I did all that, but they had layout guys. So I, I didn't really ever have to do a layout at that point. Mm -hmm. um, 
I would stand over their shoulder and tell them where I wanted traces, you know, and, and probably annoyed them because I was very particular about how I wanted power, specifically power and ground, about what order I want power and ground in and, and where I want anything that goes to the outside world has to be connected a certain way and anything internal has to be connected. You know, I was very picky about that stuff, but I never had to do it myself at that point. So when I went to Truhe, I was it. I was it. I was the engineering department, you know. So I had to do, start doing the layouts and and the software because at, at Robert Shaw we had software guys. So I told them what the software needed to do, but I didn't actually have to write much. So I I would write test code, but I didn't write product software, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. So at Robert Shaw, I was it. I had to do the layout. I had to do the software. I had to do everything, and. Uh, we had this product that was going to go into a Kohler jetted bathtub. It was a, a heater for a, a jetted bathtub. Back then, this was 2000, um, jetted bathtubs were in every single house that was being built. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, I think we built 50,000 of that control the first year, which, you know, wasn't the million like we were doing above in controls, but for a jetted bathtub, that's, that's a lot of volume, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. So... I put in what, you know, basically I put in a UL test lab there. Um, in order to get a UL recognition on a product, you have to go through tons of testing. And the UL backlog was six months. Yeah. And they needed this product released. So I, I said, hey, why don't we buy all the equipment and put in our own UL test lab? Hmm. And... And they said, okay. So I bought lightning generators and fast transient generator and a temperature chamber and all, I mean, all the equipment that needed to be there in order to do all this testing. And basically what you, what you do is you set up all the testing and the UL guy comes in and he looks at every test and just checks to make sure that you've got it set up properly. He signs off on it and then you can get your UL approval in way quicker than having them do the testing because of their backlog. Interesting. So, yeah, so I learned a lot there about, you know, not only the the testing, but, you know, what's required of putting all that stuff together, you know? How do you get through the system, basically, you know? How do you get through all the testing? How do you you get the approvals? How do you work with the different agencies? Um, cause there's way more like you guys probably work with, uh, UL David, not ULC, we C- do all the C testing and stuff, and- but C does it for UL, the well, UL. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah. All that stuff is, yeah. Do you have to work, do you have to do any of that or is that, uh, is that someone else doing all that? No, we have someone else do it, Yeah. Oh. but not, not here. And for an amp, it's way way simpler i mean a guitar amp or a guitar yeah, pedal, see, you know, the, inter- the interesting thing about ce testing is uh, no one knows the rules are interpretations you know it, it's it's like you, the the rules in the books you read and they're interpretations you can't there's no hard fast rules for a lot of it right and it's all interpretations and how a lab interprets what that means right but <laughs> yes, okay. so. like for for instance, a guitar pedal or a guitar amp. If you do a lightning surge test on it and it doesn't work, 
nobody cares. Yeah. Uh, oven has to function and it can't malfunction. Yeah. That's the, you know, that stuff is way more complicated because yeah, the house down. you can't accidentally turn a heating element on, you know, that, that kind of stuff. So, right. um, so a lot of that prepared me for going into a trivial market, I guess. I mean, I'm not to, not to undermine my own market, but you know, what we do now is audio circuits, you know, it's, and you know, we're getting more complicated with DSPs and, you know, microcontrollers and all that, but there's no safety involved in, in this. You know, the safety is, is the enclosure and the wiring such that you can't electrocute yourself. That's about the limit of safety in, in our realm, you know, compared, compared to other realms where there's so many other things that could go wrong. Yeah. Anything detrimental happens, all the fuses blow anyway. <laughs> I mean, realistically in a tube amp, unless you have put foil around your fuse, which right. <laughs> I had a I when I ran the repair shop, you wouldn't believe how many times that would happen. And I remember this one particular guy. He brought this amp in, and the foil wrapped around the fuse. And he's like, I you know I know I'm not supposed to do that, but I really needed to get through this gig. And I'm like. And how far through the gig did that fuse get you? <laughs> you know, it blew the power in the whole bar. <laughs> well, it destroyed his power transformer, and I don't remember what other damage did downstream, but it didn't help him. You know, it just it just made his repair more expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, nowadays people aren't even okay. I'm I'm not going to say that necessarily, but. Uh, People don't even know to wrap the foil around the fuse. <laughs> they, have a, they have a harder time figuring out where the fuse is. Right. Um, it's, it's funny how that the knowledge of that kind of stuff has changed with the more disposability of electronics. Uh, it seems to have changed. It's like you used to know how to change a fuse. Now there's a lot of people that don't know how to change a fuse. Right. And and it, it's it's hard for me to con you know hard for me to just you know in my head I'm like really <laughs> um, but well I'm amazed that like you know some of the touring musicians I've hung out with they don't know how half of their gear works oh I know you ask them a question and they go I don't know my guitar tech sets that up <laughs> you know yeah. they don't they don't know how half their pedals work yeah. It's crazy. It's like they they're they're like a, a trained pony, and they they get up on stage when they're told to, and they get off stage when they're told they're done. And you know, it's I think interesting. in older in in seventies um, and eighties and stuff, I think there was a lot more hands on with the equipment and and learning how to you know adjust your guitar and learning. Now it seems again disposable, sort of you know that's. Yeah, I, I don't know. I plug into my Kemper. <laughs> yeah, works. Funny sidetrack story. When I was in college, uh, I ran sound a lot in college. I was a sound guy, um, so I was running sound for a gig, and this guy's bass just sounded horrible. And I said, "Can I can I check your bass out?" Well, okay. I said, when's the last time you replaced the battery? He's like, there's not a battery in this. I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember what brand bass it was, but I'm like, yeah, there's a battery in this bass. 
So we took the back cover off, and sure enough, there's a 9-volt battery. The dude had the base for a couple of years and had never put a battery in it. <laughs> this sounds like a dying pedal or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's stories. There's all sorts of stories like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough because, I mean, I, I know where you were going, Dave, but I, I think a lot of people don't want to, like, touch their electronics themselves it's like i bought it i'm just going to send it back even if it, if it's a simple fix of a fuse or replacing that 12ax7 or whatever it is it's like no i'm just going to send it back everybody should know how to do it i agree, I mean, it's, I agree. Not, it's like you know i don't know maybe that was something that came from people that used to you know in previous years, people would gig a lot. You know, they would they would play a lot. Musicians would be playing five nights a week. You know, multiple sets a night. Right. And that doesn't exist today. Uh, I mean, maybe it does for some people, but for the majority of musicians, that doesn't exist. They do a gig once a month, or they do. You know, uh, you know, I knew. Friends of mine that, you know, in the 80s, they were literally in an original band playing five nights a week in different, you know, areas and stuff and, and you know, and, and drawing people and that's how they made their money. And um, those scenes don't exist anymore. So, you know, the, the kind of experience that you, you got and having to deal with stuff when, you know, you're, you're doing stuff like that, you better learn how to do some of that stuff. Things are going to break. <laughs> Right. Yeah. You know, you're using it hard. Things are going to break. You better, you know. Yeah. It's just a different time. Yeah. Different time now. It is. It is. But on the other hand, though, I know for me, the cost, once, you're, once your amp's out of, or your guitar is out of warranty and things have to get fixed, the cost of going to attack and getting it fixed or all these things. I mean, if you could do it yourself for much, much less money, it's. Go watch a video on YouTube and you can get it done like that. Yeah, you learned to bias and stuff. Yeah, I did. I learned to bias. I mean, I actually put RAM in my computer today. Expanded the RAM on my Mac. I was like, oh my God. YouTube will tell you anything. Right. (laughs) I looked it up. I was like, I knew exactly what to do, how to put it in, make sure I Step by step. Yeah. Detailed information. Yeah. I saw a guy start a computer on fire doing that. Oh, really? Back, back, this is when I was at Brunswick. Uh, he didn't know he had to take the turn the power off to replace the RAM. Oh. <laughs> so he just started shoving RAM in there with the computer on and somehow cross-connected it. And Yeah. He, nice. <laughs> some people just, I mean, to me, a lot of that stuff just seems common sense. But yeah, turn you, it off first? Yeah, but apparently, I mean, apparently, if you don't know any better, I guess, you know, how can you fault somebody, you know? Guys like us that have always done something with electronics, it seems to make sense to turn it off. But to some people, that doesn't even cross their mind. Yeah. Well, when you're talking about electricity, that should be the first thing you do. (laughs) That's for sure. So, so getting back to you, John. um, So, uh, so you were uh, you were telling us like around 2000 at this point. You're yeah, make, you're making the, uh, the the electronics for the for the thermostats. Is that what you were saying? Heaters, yeah, yeah, different types of heaters. 
Yeah, and I was there probably three years. Um, and, you know, I mean, that's the corporate world. My next step was VP of engineering. That's, you know, that was where the guy who was VP of engineering was re retiring in a few years. That's where I was headed. And uh, we would sit in these meetings and talk about problems, you know, 10 to 12 people sitting in a meeting for a couple hours talking about a problem. I remember talking about a, uh, you know, a problem with circuit boards. These circuit boards are failing. And, and I said, okay, we need to get static mats on the workbenches, static mats on the floor, and, you know, properly ground them. And let's see if that helps the problem. Because they were sure that they were damaging these circuit boards somehow. Um, so our next meeting, we're sitting there talking about it. And they're like, uh, yeah, the, you know, we're still having problems. And, you know, I, and I think it even maybe got worse. I can't remember for sure. But so I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to come out and take a look. And I go out there and, I'm, and I said, uh, so there's these rubber mats on, on the floor and on the production station where they're assembling these heaters. So they take the heater, put the circuit board on the heater. That, this is the station they were doing that in. And they looked just like rubber mats. And I said, where are these grounded? He's like, well, we didn't ground them. I said, well, you have to ground them. He's like, well, these aren't, these aren't the static mats you told us to get. We just brought, bought rubber mats. <laughs> and I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's the exact opposite of a static mat. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, but those static mats were really expensive, so we just thought we'd try the rubber mats and see what happened. <laughs> so basically, they put a rubber mat, which is going to hold the static charge, on both the ground so they can stand on it and on the workbench so that they can set the thing they're working on on it, nothing to dissipate the voltage whatsoever. So it was, you know, it was that kind of stuff, you know, 10 people in a room talking for an hour and... To save a couple hundred dollars, they buy rubber instead of static mats, you know, and more than once I would be in a meeting and say, hey, you guys want to sit here and talk about it and I'll go back to the lab and figure out how to solve the problem. You know, it just the corporate mentality of meeting, meeting, meeting just just ground on me. I'm, I'm, I've always been a doer, not a meeting guy, you know, and so I finally decided at that point. I just don't. I just don't want to be in the corporate world. I, I I'm ready to to just to do. You know, um, at the time I would work till six o'clock at night, and four fifty eight there was a lineup at the door, and if you worked late, it was like something was wrong with you. Even if there's a deadline, why are you still here? You know, it's it's almost five, you know, and, and that's another part of that corporate mentality of, you know, I'm putting my time in and I was never a putting my time in kind of guy. I was always I'm here until this this problem is solved and then I'm going to go home. So I thought, you know, maybe I should just go do this for myself. And I've always had this dream of building guitar pedals. So maybe I'll go build guitar pedals, you know, so. Basically, I told them, yeah, I'm going to go build guitar pedals, you know, and I uh, and they asked if I could, you know, stay on part time to help them. So basically what I did is I started QSEC Music 
And at the same time, I started a company called West Shore Design. So West Shore Design was my company that I did consulting work for other companies. And then QSEC Music was my pedal company. And those companies were basically the same company. I ran two sets of books, you know, in uh, I ran uh, Peachtree is what I used for accounting. But I had two companies in Peachtree. But each company would borrow from the other one. Whoever had money would pay the bills, and you know what I mean. And so, so it was yeah. really kind of one company, but I was trying to run it as two. And uh, the goal was to build pedals, kind of as a hobby, and to do consulting work to pay the bills. And I had a contract house that I used to work with back when I worked at Invensys. I knew him really well. So I never actually intended to build the pedals. I was going to build, I was going to do the enclosures and I had a friend who was going to do the engraving because I, because my original pedals were all engraved. They were uh, unfinished engraved. That was all there was to them. And then I was, had this company called AmpTech who was going to manufacture the circuit boards for me. And so I called him up and I hadn't talked to him in a few years because, you know, at True Heat, I, I was doing, you know, we had a different contract house. No, we did use AmpTech for that. That's right. We did use AmpTech at True Heat. So I had already been in contact with him. Um, anyway, I told him I was going to do the pedal thing. And he's like, oh, I'd be happy to help you with that. And then he told me this story about a pedal they used to build. Uh, I think it's called a rat. Maybe you guys have heard of that one. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, the company who owned them at the time, this was back in, again, 2003-ish, but prior to that, so I don't know what year this actually was, but whenever they had built those original rats, uh, the company who owned them had multiple companies. So they would do these shady things where they would like close the company down and not pay their bills. So this guy built the first batch of rats and never got paid for them. Uh, so he's was like, that Proco I'll, at the time? Say what? Was that Proco at the time? I, it was Proco at the time, but I don't know who owned Proco at that time. Oh, uh, okay. Because um, apparently, and this is just rumors I've heard, is they had different different business entities so they could do different things to get out of paying bills. Uh. Uh, so, I mean, they're owned by completely different people now. Um, but, uh, yeah, so he was he, would, he was happy to do something in the music industry where he actually got paid for it, you know. Um, so he built my first batch of uh, circuit boards. And, uh, you know, my plan was to have him do the circuit boards forever. I mean, that was really what the plan was. And... Uh, they got sold, so he wanted to retire and sell tractors. So he sold his electronics manufacturing company, bought a tractor dealership to sell tractors. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So Damn farm country. And he got bought by a banker. So it became a complete numbers game at that point, you know. And so I had to figure out, okay, now what am I going to do to build my pedals you know and at the same time i had customers who so as a consultant my main job was to solve problems so a company would have a product they designed and it would fail 
they would hire me to solve that problem. So a lot of times in solving the problem, they would need something built. Like there was a time where they needed this little timer built that turned on some water valves for this was for a floor cleaning unit. And they said, can you build the prototypes for me? Yep, sure, I can do that. Can you build the, the, the initial run of production for us? Yep, okay, I guess I can do that. Can you build the full production for us? Okay, I guess I can do that. So it basically came from I was supposed to be a consulting company to then I'm doing prototype, then I'm doing small production runs. And we, uh, so we had this product, the, the first product outside of pedals that we manufactured was a timer for a floor scrubber. And it was all surface mount. That was 100% surface mount. Well, there was one through-hole resistor, but everything else was surface mount. We built those by hand. Like oh. hundreds a year of these things with tweezers and a soldering iron. And we were building these things all by hand. And uh, I saw a pick-and-place machine. And, you know, I worked at Robert Shaw, and they had pick-and-place machines, but... That wasn't, you know, I went out and watched them, but I never ran one. I didn't know how they worked. I didn't know anything about them. But I saw a uh, pick-and-place machine on eBay for $400. And in the picture was a couple three-ring binders sitting on top of the machine. I'm like, hey, that, that has documentation with it. I'm going to buy that and see if I can figure out how to run it. So I bought this $400 pick-and-place machine and powered it up there was a few things wrong with it you know had to fix some things went through the manuals tried to learn how to run it and then realized i needed these things called feeders so in order to put a part into the machine you have to put it on a feeder to feed the part into the machine so i spent two thousand dollars i think it was to buy feeders to put in my four hundred dollar machine and uh about two production runs of that timer and i paid for it you know, yeah. so it was like, okay, now this thing's paid for. Let's, what else can I build on it? You know, at the time I had six, six feeders, which, mean, which meant I had six unique components on that circuit board. And my goal was always, okay, I want to minimize how many part numbers I have. You know, uh, I don't want to have every single resistor value in the world. I'm going to try to minimize how many resistors and caps I stock. We're going to try to make it so I don't have to have a bazillion feeders. Um, and by the way, today I have about a thousand feeders. So uh, that, that, that goal really- window. Well. <laughs> well, in the audio industry, you know, you're, you're doing tone shaping and no, I can't use the next, next closest resistor value. It's gotta be this value. So every time I add a board, you know, to our database, there's another part number because they added a resistor I didn't already have. So yeah, so slowly over time, it just became a necessity to, you know, build my own products. So I, you know, I bought that first pick and place machine, and uh, you know, learned how to learn how to run it. And we actually at the time used a uh, a toaster oven to solder. So, you know, to solder surface mount, there's this profile you have to have where where it ramps up slowly and then it hits the peak temperature and then it reflows and you know there's a whole science to that but i had heard that you could do it with a toaster oven so i bought this toaster oven and tried it and it turned out that 
by opening the door, that dropped the temperature. You put the board in, when you close the door, that caused a pretty quick ramp up to the middle temperature, which is what you want for activating your flux. And then it slowly ramped up to the reflow temperature, which is what you want because you don't want to, you don't want to burn the flux off too early and you don't want to get too hot and overshoot. There's lots of stuff in there. But anyway, opening the door, putting the board in, shutting the door, letting it ramp up on its own just happened to be almost identical to the reflow profile that the solder recommended. So it worked out really good as far as soldering circuit boards. You could only do one batch at a time, you know, you got to put it in and wait however long it takes and then take it out. And, but for the volume we were doing, it worked out really good. I mean, it was, we got good solder results out of it. And, uh, that oven, you know, this was back in, that was probably 2002 or no, 2003, probably when I first started doing the pick and play stuff, but that I still have that reef or that toaster oven sitting on a shelf somewhere as part of my museum of, you know, the history of the company. Mm-hmm. We don't use a soldering anymore, but that, that thing's still... I don't think so at this point. Yeah. Now, you've been playing guitar this whole time? You're, you're a guitar player the whole time? Uh, I, I play guitar. I wouldn't say I'm a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, the way I... I mean, I love playing guitar. Uh, I always wanted to be a good guitar player. I've never been a great guitar player. Um, the way I look at it is I'm good at designing stuff. I'm good at fixing stuff. I'm good at figuring problems out. If I can design stuff and still be part of the rock and roll industry, that's good enough. I'm never going to be on stage, you know, in front of thousands of people. That's, that's just not in in the cards for me and that's okay. Mm -hmm. All right. And now that I own a business, it's, Power playing is not something so, that I do hardly anymore. So you started QSAC Music. What was the first pedal you made? Uh, so the first pedal goes exactly against my whole purpose in existing. Um, at the time, Robert Keeley was around, and um, Analog Man was around, and I said, I am not going to be one of those modders, and I'm not going to just copy other people's pedals, and, you know... Um, so yeah, that, that was my opinion back then. Um, things have changed a little bit, but so my goal was to design, I'm just going to design unique stuff that, that somebody hasn't already done. But my first pedal was a tube screamer clone. And the reason for that is I wanted to get through the mechanical. What knob layout am I going to use? Where are the jacks going to go? How am I going to assemble the thing? So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do a circuit. I already know. And the first pedal will be based on mechanically, how am I going to assemble this thing to be manufacturable? Um, Now, there is something unique about my screamer that people have not, I don't know why, but people have not figured it out yet. Mine is technically a clone of a TS-9, but there's uh, a few things about it that are completely different, and it makes it so that they are way more... um, sonically pleasing there's less less non-harmonic distortion and more harmonic distortion in my version of the ts9 than any other ts9 clone out there um and it's i mean the secret's not that hard if you open the pedal and take a look for about 10 minutes but nobody is ever and i'll challenge you guys to see if you can figure out what it is but 
it's it's not a complicated thing I did, but it completely lowered the amount of non-harmonic distortion. And so when you play a suspended seventh or whatever, you can hear that when you play it through my screamer. You play that through a TS9 and it you don't hear, you know what I mean? That's the one thing I always didn't like about the, the TS9 or any of the tube screamers was you play a complex chord and they just get mushed up and it's, it you know, you could play any multiple variations of chords and they don't sound that different because of how they get mushed up. So that was your first pedal, the Screamer? Yeah. That's still one of your better selling pedals, right? It is, yep. And then and then what? So from there, what, what did you go into, delay? Or so I was in the middle of a design for a delay. I was working on a tap tempo delay because nobody had done it and went to a show I don't remember now where that show was, but Diamond shows up at that show with the memory lane that he had just released, Tap Tempo Bucket Brigade Delay. So as soon as I saw that, I'm like, okay, there's no reason whatsoever for me to release my delay. This guy's already done it, you know. So the that's, LA Amp Show? Say what? Was it the LA Amp Show? No. Um... I can't remember where it was. This, and it must have been that must have been two thousand three or four. Right. Yeah, exactly. Whenever the memory lane came out. Um, but yeah, so he had already done it. I'm like, okay, there's no point in me doing that. I'm not gonna just do the same thing this guy did. I gotta do something different. And so I changed gears and that's when I came out with the Tapa World. So I said, okay, he did the tap tempo delay. I'm going to do a tap tempo full signal, full analog signal path tremolo pedal because nobody had done that before. Right. So I decided to do the tap roll, which ended up, you know, that's that's been always our number one selling pedal, and we're, you know, people are still loving that pedal. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Super cool. Super cool. So, so why pedals? I'm curious that when you when you decided to go down this path of being into the music industry and you know the uh, instrument you know and getting involved in that why, why not amps versus pedals or I'm just curious. I don't have a good answer. I don't know. Um, maybe because pedals seemed easier at the time. I don't know because I I thought about amps also. Uh, in fact, one thing I thought about earlier on was doing and nobody's done this and i can you know now that i'm smarter and older i know why but at the time i was thinking about doing boutique 15 watt solid state amps you know i'm like hey i can i can take that tda 2030 chip that all these 15 watt amps use but make a better version of this thing and you know i i one of my first goals was to do that try to go down the solid state amp round so that probably w wouldn't have fared as well as the pedal market mm -hmm. all right i think you made a good choice so so you started doing these pedals but when did you start becoming a manufacturer for other brands for other brands yeah so that kind of started with zvex um he had the uh, uwa 
You guys remember the UWA? Yeah. I remember so he had the UWA, and one of my friends here locally said, this is a great pedal, but I really wish it had tap temple. And I'm like, well, that seems pretty simple. So he, so he said, well, if you can, if you can add tap temple, that'd be great. And at the time, I was really anti-pedal modding, anti-cloning. Like, I just thought that was rude, you know. Now it's kind of normal. But, um, but at the time, I thought it was kind of rude. So I actually called Zach and said, hey, uh, you know, I'm a pedal builder. I got a friend that has your ooh He really wants me to add tap tempo to it. And... I don't want to offend you by adding tap tempo to your pedal. You know, I, I, I don't want you to think I'm, I think less of your pedal or whatever. I mean, would you be upset if I did this? And he said, oh, I'd be fine by that, but, but you can't do it. I'm like, well, what do you mean I can't do it? He's like, I've had several people look at it and the circuit would be so big. It wouldn't even fit in the box. And you know, it's just, it's just not even worth looking into. I said, okay, well, I mean, as long as, as long as you're okay with it, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and try it. So I ended up coming up with a mod that fits on a circuit board. I think it's a half inch wide by an inch long. I mean, it's a very small circuit board. Hmm. And that circuit, you basically make a couple cuts on his board, stack this thing on top of his board, and makes the connections and overrides his clock, and it adds tap tempo to that pedal. So I did it for this friend and then I called Zach back and said hey by the way I was able to do this so you know do you want to check it out and do you want to offer it as a mod to your pedals so what he did is he didn't offer it as a mod what he did is anybody who wanted tap temple he just told them to contact me so people <laughs> start sending me the UWA and the sequa because the sequa and the UWA were, were same thing basically basically one was a tremolo one was a uh, wah but they were the the basic same control engine. Um, so we were modding both of those. That led to him wanting to release the ringtone, which was a ring modulator version of those two pedals. And he wanted onboard tap tempo with that. So that whole thing led to not only me, you know, designing the ringtone for him, but I did the circuit board layouts for Zvex probably 2004 through 2005 or six, whenever Joel Corte came on board. Um, prior to that, I was doing a lot of his board layouts. Um, and then I would do some of the production because he has, he's that, he has a Shua. That's his, that's his guy who does all his through hole assembly. Um, so he didn't want to take that away, but there, the, uh, ringtone ended up being a surface mount design. So, we ended up getting that as a production thing. So that, I think, if my memory is correct, I think that was our first, you know, contract manufacturing for a pedal company. Mm. And, uh, you know, he had either, his stuff was either built overseas or it was built, the hand-wired stuff was built by his guy Shua in uh, Minneapolis. Um, so from there, you know, my name just kept spreading around. You know, people in the music industry you know, heard about me and would call me and have, you know, have me help them either help them with problems or design stuff or layout or manufacture. And, you know, it just, it kind of grew from there. And it's been, 
up and down ever since. There was a year where I wasn't taking any work, um, maybe two years, where I was trying to just concentrate on my own brand and you know not taking work from other builders. And I realized that I'm way better at designing and manufacturing than I am marketing. So it's helpful for me to take work from other builders because that allows me to build lots of pedals, you know. Yeah. Um, Keeps the lights on. Yeah, make money at what you're good at. You know, that's that's basically what I figured out is, you know, I do I care whose name is on the pedal I'm building? It keeps the lights on, right? You know, it's it pays the bills, it allows me to keep employees. You know, and uh, so why not? And yeah, I made a lot of friends in the industry throughout it. You know, we have uh, I think we have 40 brands now. I have a directory for every customer, you know, in my in my network drive. And I think I have 40 directories of pedal customers. So, I mean, it's grown quite a bit over the years in the number of, of people we've worked with. That's great. That's great. So, like, what does the range of uh, manufacturing or, or your, your partnering with these different companies, what's the range of work that you do for them? Is it... Uh, all the way from graph any with anything like graphic design or is it also including uh just designing of the circuit or is it also include you know making of the boxes i'm just curious like how much of that goes into or is it like soup to nuts so we do almost everything we don't do graphics we do you know some of our graphics we do some of our graphics we outsource we don't do graphic arts work for anybody else um just about everything else we do I do um, troubleshooting. There are customers where they have a design that has a flaw and they need me to help them fix it. So they send me a pedal, I figure it out, I say, okay, here's the changes you need to make, send them, send them the info. And some of my customers, that's all I do for them. I don't do any other work for them. Some of it's just help them fix problems. Um, some of them is start to finish we manufacture the entire pedal put it in a box for them ready to ship to a customer so it's the whole range um we have customers where all we do is surface mount population they do the through hole and finish it themselves some customers we do just enclosures some customers we do you know just software there's a couple customers where i write some of their software for them and uh you know, they have the, they, they do their own hardware design, all their prototyping. They send me one, and, and I write the software for it. So it's a wide range of, of what we do. It, it, it could be any – it could be a small thing to everything. Right. But you do um, powder coating, right? And Powder coating. We have two Mamaki printers. UV printers. We have – actually, we have four UV printers. We have two direct color printers, uh, which were – about to dump because we got the two new Mamakis and those things are phenomenal. Um, I wish I'd got the Mamakis the first time I bought these printers. Uh, what was the first brand? It was Direct Color Systems. Oh, okay. I bought them because back when I bought them, Mamaki didn't have a six inch clearance. They only had a three inch clearance. Right, right. And I wanted to print the faces of my amps. Right. And I needed six inch clearance because I wanted to print right on the amp chassis. I didn't want to do a faceplate. Mm -hmm. I wanted right on the chassis. So made a dumb decision and went with direct color just because of that. Um, I know when uh, um, 
all pedal. When they got their Mamaki, I think they put some sort of an adapter in to raise their head or something so they could have the clearance that they needed. Oh. Because they bought, they, I think they were one of the first in the industry to get one. I think they had one before even Avi had one. I don't know. Do you know? Yeah, Avi's got two now. Yeah, but you know when he got his first one? Several years ago. Because it's, I mean, it's probably been 10 years that All Pedals had one. It's probably, I mean, Avi probably got his three or four years ago. Okay. By the way, um, I, just, I just want to uh, say hi to Bruce Egnator. He's in the chat. Hey, Hello, Bruce. Bruce. What's up, Bruce? Wherever you are. Oh, there you are. I talked I talk nice about you earlier, Bruce. Yeah. You have to rewind. You didn't say anything bad. Uh-huh. And, and everybody in the chat will be getting to questions soon. Uh, so if you have questions for for John or for Dave, uh, let us know, and we'll get to them in just a little bit. Sorry, John. Yeah, Mamakis are super fun. <laughs> yeah, they're just so much so much nicer. They, they come with a little bit of problems here and there, but yeah, there are some problems, but quirks and things. And they compared to what we've dealt with with the direct. I mean, the direct colors, the print quality is just as good. Like I, I, we get great print quality out of our direct colors, but I had to replace the entire gantry on one of them, probably two years in, because the head cable went bad. And the head cable is not replaceable without replacing the entire gantry. So it was an entire day job tearing down the gantry to replace the entire gantry because I had a cable go bad. So, you know, the Mamakis were designed from the ground up as, a, as an industrial machine. The direct colors were a Epson printer hacked into some other mechanics. You know what I mean? It's just, there's a night and day difference between what the Mamaki is and what the direct color was. So we're, we're really happy. And everybody, you know, everybody I know has got one. JHS has them. Keeley's got them. Jacob Adams has them. You know, everybody's got those Mamakis now. So it, wow, that's cool. it's the cool kid printer, I guess. Hey, I want to, um, I want to say hi to uh, Waterford Giant. They gave us for a super chat. They said, uh, just saying thanks Again, for an always enjoyable, educational, and entertaining show. Glad to see it live. It's been a while. Thanks. We appreciate that. And thanks for the super chat. Yeah. So, so anyway, you, you, so you, do, uh, you do screen printing, too? Or just... Or no, just, we just did. We used to. But once we got the printers, we stopped screen printing. Yeah. UV printing, powder coating... Yep. Uh, Milling enclosures, I take it? Yep, we do that in-house. We have 3D printing in-house. Yeah. I mean, there's there's not much we don't do in-house. Circuit board assembly, surface mount, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we have three surface mount lines. We have two selective solders, a wave solder, you know, uh, several uh, through-hole machines. We can still do through-hole assembly, um, which is something that I expected to stay around longer than it did, and it's kind of almost died. So many, so many companies that were never going to go surface mount just threw their hands up in the last two years and said, oh, "Okay, whatever." So that was the yeah. thing back in the day. I have one pedal that's through hole because I just chose to do it that way. Right, right. <laughs> right. I don't know. I was, I was a little, uh, a little, uh, just sort of. No, nah, I'm gonna do it old school. 
<laughs> hey, I've got a question. Hey, I- um, John, so you mentioned, you know, you did work for Zvax. Um, and you mentioned you've got a, you know, pretty large roster of people that you're working with. Is that, yeah. is that a confidential agreement that you have with some of these companies where, you know, the, you, you build the, the pedals for them behind the scenes, but they're, you know, they're not, they're not saying that, that that's the case. There are, there are a ton that I can mention and there are a ton that I can't mention. Gotcha. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. A little of both. Yeah. Yeah, I figured that that's what that was the case. But so just out of curiosity, like who can you mention? Like who is some of the companies? So JHS, Walrus, uh, Wampler, I've helped out on occasion. Uh, Caroline Guitar Company. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Love Pedal. Uh, who am I forgetting? I don't know. There's who a bunch. Are you, who are you forgetting that you can mention? Yeah. <laughs> when I get to each name, I have to, I have, cause a lot of them, um, you know, I, I did a show at the, at the, the NAMM show two years ago, I did a booth just for my contract manufacturing and I got specific permission from each customer on whether or not I could put them on my banner as, you know, a current customer. So I have to remember who's on that list. Joe Gore, he's got a pedal line. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the list that I can remember off the top of my head anyway. Well, that's a pretty good list. Well, you know, you know, you know, you know, people it's, 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 there's not that many pedal manufacturers that are doing this kind of work that are doing these production. I mean, there's other, I mean, that that's more music industry specific. That is right. Um, there's four, couple, few. Yeah. Yeah, you can count them on one hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so maybe less than one hand. So, so there, there was a good question um, earlier, and I, I thought it was I want to uh, mention it. Where is it? Here from Cars in Depth says uh, with Bruce Egnator here in the chat. Ask Dave and John why are so many good pedal and amp guys from Michigan? There's nothing else to do in the winter. <laughs> I don't know, but there's a lot of pedal, not pedals, amps, uh, pickups. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a musical uh, state, apparently. Yeah, Bob Sweet was from Michigan. Joe Naylor. Um, Joe Naylor, Danny Russell, uh, uh, Guy Hendrick, Bruce Egnator. He, he lived in Michigan for a little while. Huh? Robert Keeley lived in Michigan for a little oh, while. Okay. Yeah. Uh, um, oh, I'm forgetting some. But uh, where's Zvex? Yeah. Where's uh, Zvex from? He's not Minneapolis. 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 Yeah. So yeah, I mean, yeah, throwback pickups. Love pedals in Michigan. Throwbacks in Michigan. Yep. Yeah. Throwback uh, Motor City pickups. Uh, yeah, actually, the vast majority of. Uh, most uh, amp pedal and manufacturers are from Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of us for sure. Throwbacks. In the I don't shop, know why. It's a rock and roll town, man. At least Detroit was. Yeah. You know, Detroit Rock City. Well, 
It's awesome. Sorry, I don't like Kiss, but you know, I had to say that. <laughs> it's a good song. If if there's one song that I will listen to them, it's Detroit Rock City. I still, yeah. I still like that song. I will say it. Um, so uh, Cars and Depp also has a good question. What's a typical production run on a pedal? As far as quantity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we try to stay around 100 to 1,000. Um, anything under 100 for our process is the, the cost overhead is just not worth it. And, you know, the, the cost goes... From 100 to 250, there's a little bit of cost savings. From 250 to 5, there's a little bit of cost savings. But from 100 down to 50, it might cost 50% more because of the setup time and and you know everything that goes to building a pedal. So 100 seems to be a pretty good number for us for us to be you know competitive. Um, we do 25 and 50 for some customers, you know, and we'll we'll always quote. 25, 50, and 100 if they want us to. And usually they see the 100 piece price and go, okay, I'll just go ahead and take 100. You know, the savings is a, like when you're a, a small guy starting out, I get that the 100 pedals is a lot. But when you can gamble and go, okay, 50 bucks each for 25 and, you know, 40 bucks each or 30 bucks each for 100, you know, I'm going to save that money and go ahead and take that 100, you know, because there's, there's enough savings there that that's going to be money in their pocket later. You know, yeah. These, sorry, Dave. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, are, are these pedals? Um, are they hand wired, or they're all soldered through a machine? So most of what we do in house is uh, machine. We do some hand assembly. We do some hand solder. I mean, there is a still hand soldering. There are certain parts that we can't machine solder. Some of our, you know, if we can machine solder everything, they're cheaper, obviously. If we we do have a lot of stuff where we have to hand solder, but that adds cost. So we we try to design stuff for manufacturing. You know, I try to take my, you know, two decades of experience and how can I make this thing manufacturable to get the cost down. Um, but there are customers that want, you know, they don't want board mounted power jacks. They don't want board mounted quarter inch jacks. So we'll do you know harnesses for those. But those again aren't even technically hand wired. What we do is we will, you know, we'll solder wires to the jacks, but then we'll put a connector on the end, and then we'll put a connector on the circuit board. Mm -hmm. So then when we're assembling, you plug in the input jack, you plug in the output jack, you plug in the DC jack. And even my stuff from day one, everything's been a connector because when you got a guy on tour and his pedals broke or whatever, and you say, oh, I'll just ship you a, a, a a new switch, you know, the foot switch went bad. I'll just ship you a new switch. And yeah. they'll say, well, I don't know how to solder. Oh, you don't have to. You just have to unplug it, plug the new one in. Oh, really? And, and they're really excited because now they can just replace a, a switch in their own pedal or an input jack or a power jack without having to solder. So, so we, you know, we try to design and manufacture for not only for efficiency of manufacturing, but for repairing later because I you know I, I've had really two careers well more than that but my two main careers have been as a repair guy and as an engineer designing high volume production so I've been at both halves where high volume production doesn't necessarily care about repair but as a repair guy I've repaired a lot of stuff in my life and I know it makes repair easy and I know what pisses me off when I open something up 
where you have to desolder six things to get the circuit board out to get to the part that's underneath it that you need to replace, you know. So I, that's, why, that's why you make good products. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That re repair experience. Yeah. You've like got all, all angles back, of design. Back, back when I did the uh, the uh, stereo repair, I worked for that stereo shop, and we finally had a, a policy. If a stereo comes in the door with wood grain sides, we didn't take it. Because back in that era, if a, in this, we're talking home stereo, if it had wood grain sides, then it had two stacked circuit boards, and it had wires going from circuit board to circuit board that were hand wired, and those wires were on both sides of the circuit board, so you couldn't unwrap the two circuit boards to work on them. So I finally decided if it's got wood grain sides, we just don't work on it anymore because they were all built that way. Hmm. And there's probably some exceptions where there was some wood grain stuff that weren't built that way, but it was an easy cutoff for us to make. My favorite was the, uh, you know, any of the old rack processors that existed where you could take the, the top and the bottom off and the yeah. board suspended there. You just flip it over, solder, desolder, fix, whatever most serviceable thing ever i love that and then when you have one of those full rack space ones where the bottom doesn't come off yeah you got to take the front off and then you got to take the whole board out and but you can't test it that way you got to reassemble it to test it to that see. doesn't work and you gotta take it apart again yeah <laughs> yep yep yeah interesting um so throwback uh, Guitar Lounge has a question. Um, have you talked about the King Snake combo yet? I love mine as a grab and go for blues. Oh, that's right. John does have one of those. Um, yeah. So the King Snake combo that was a uh, that was a Joe Naylor amp. Uh, that was a uh, Reverend had their amp line for maybe five or six years. Yeah. And. I wanted to, to, to build amps and I just never had, I, I have a prototype sitting here in the shop somewhere of what I was going to build someday. Um, I had some special speakers that I had warehouse guitar speakers build for me. They were, they were uh, uh, Neo speakers and they were killer. They were, I think, three or six decibels louder than any other speaker that I could find. So that made a 50 watt amp sound freaking huge, you know, even bigger than a 50 watt amp. And, uh, but then the whole, the whole neodymium problem happened where you couldn't get it and the prices skyrocketed and, and warehouse guitar speakers decided they're not doing neo speakers anymore. And so the whole thing was like, it was crashing down. My whole plan for what I wanted to do for an amp kind of was crashing down. Um, so Joe Naylor was talking, I think it was the gear page, about selling his amp line because uh, Ken Haas had bought the guitars and his point of view was the only company that ever sold guitars and amps that was successful was Fender. And when you think about it, he's right. I mean, think about another company that's gotten huge doing both. And so he decided he didn't want to do amps. He just wanted to do guitars. So Joe still had the guitar, the amp line that he wanted to sell. So him and I worked an arrangement to buy, not the Reverend name, but the, the amp models, the designs, and the model names. So we ended up with the Hellhound, the Britfire, and the Kingsnake, and the Goblins. 
So there were four models we ended up with. The Britfire we never released, um, but the Hellhound, Kingsnake, and Goblin we actually had released, and we're manufacturing for a while. And under what brand name was it? It was under the QSEC brand. So we okay. we created we created QSEC amps, which was you know obviously a division of QSEC pedals. Um, so. I loved the amps. They, I thought they sounded killer. They were great. They were lightweight. They were roadworthy. But we had problems with building the cabinets. The cabinets were expensive. They took a lot of time. We were tolexing them in-house. And it just got to be a pain in the butt. So we just said, we're going to just put those on hold for a couple of years. It's been more like four years now, I think. But it was going to be a couple of years hold on those while we figure out who's going to build the cabinet. Because basically, if someone can build the cabinet for me reasonably, the rest of it's simple. We, I, have the, I have the chassis designed. You know, The chassis has all kinds of hem nuts and spacers and everything. The whole chassis is just ready to jam everything in, and they, they assemble really fast. But it's the cabinet that was killing us. And I, you know, with the ups and downs in the industry, every time I talk to somebody who could build cabinets, all of a sudden they either close down or they don't want to take work anymore or whatever. So it's just been kind of on hold. Sounds like you should talk to Avi. Yeah, I don't know if Avi would do. Uh, I should talk to him. Maybe he'll do just cabinets for me. I don't know if that's up his, up, you know, up his wheelhouse or not, or if he wants to only build full product. Yeah, I don't know either. That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I don't know. It might not be financially. There might be other sources that would be better for that. I mean, the problem is I don't want a thousand. So I'll be, you know, yeah. probably wants to build a thousand. Right, um, right, right, right. So, but there are probably, there's probably, and again, it's, you know, we just moved in the last year and just so much has been in transition for the last two years that it just hasn't been on my radar. You know, honestly, I'm, there's a few things I need to finish in our production facility uh, I need to upgrade our powder coating system. There's a couple other things I need to upgrade, and then I'm going to start thinking about, you know, amps again. So, but yeah, if there's any anybody that knows how to build guitar cabinets and can build them reasonable for me, hmm. let me know. All right. Hey, I'm going to jump into the chat with a couple questions. Um, yeah. If that works. So, uh, and I went all the way back. So, Brett. Uh, mentioned, please release the 20 watt plexi you talked about last time, Dave. <laughs> I mentioned something and all of a sudden, uh, okay, well, he has to do my 50 watt plexi first, though. Okay, <laughs> um, have a question regarding the Mojo Hand Rook OD. How close is it to the Landgraf overdrive? I'm not familiar with, with the uh, Mojo Hand. Are you? Yeah, so Mojo Hand is a brand we bought three years ago, maybe, two years ago. Um, so that's a that's a line of guitar pedals that we bought. He was looking to, to get out and go back to a day job, which is, you know, that's common in our industry. People do it for a, a while, and they're like, okay, this has been fun, but, I, you know, I'm ready to get out. So we bought that... Uh, we bought that brand, and to answer that question specifically, I can honestly tell you I don't know because I don't <clears throat> I don't know what's in the Langruff, so um, I don't know exactly if it's close to that or not. 
Okay. Um, did Mojo? Did Mojo hand? Did, didn't they also make like a Waz? Like they had a couple Waz, or am I thinking of a, a different product? That might be Mojo Tone, or Mojo Tone sells parts. I don't yeah, think Mojo, had, Mojo hand had a vibe. Yeah, they never had a they never had a pedal that had the wah mechanism that I know of though. Okay. Then I'm thinking of something else. Okay. Not for sure. Not while we've had them. Gotcha. So are you you're actually that brand is still out there and you're manufacturing those pedals. Yeah, we manufacture that brand and uh, yeah, so that still exists. Um, most of the models still there's a couple that I think we've retired, but most of the models still exist. That's cool. What other um other other brands other you know brands under under your QSAC company yeah. that you own besides Mojoton or Mojo, there's not, Mojo Hand? There's yeah, Mojo Hand and QSAC are the two we own. There's a third one, AJP, which we don't own, but we do all the manufacturing and distribution for that. Um, AJP Guitars is a guy who builds guitars out in California. Um, we build his pet. We build his pedal line for him so it's kind of our brand because we do all of the work for that brand um so yeah that's that's the three that we do now and then we're working with a lot of other pedal companies to do uh potential distribution like we we're, we're working with a couple where you know we will start stocking their pedal and drop shipping for them so they don't have to worry about you know how many do they need in stock all the time? You know, we'll just, we'll stock them here. And, and when they get an order, they send us an email and we can drop ship for them. So, you know, certain customers were looking at doing that, but QSAC and Mojo are the only two that we, you know, currently own. Gotcha. Um, well, that's cool. Um, let me get to the chat. Cause I just had the question there. Uh, for Dave, is there a hard release date for the 100 Deluxe? July 26th. That was from Craig. Uh, July 26th. July 26th. And mm -hmm. his second part was, was the amp Steve used in Pete's new video a regular 100 Deluxe? Uh, not exactly. Um, for the most part, yes. Um, it has a different clean channel, though. It doesn't have the Plexi channel. It had a clean, clean channel which is what he wanted okay uh another question for dave regarding cab feel sound only how is the mike no mo versus the boss waza amp expander they're, they're different totally different thing i mean the the the, the mike no more is a uh, analog cab emulator and and the and the waza tube expander i mean is is use it's IR based and or their own technology for emulating speakers. So no, totally different. Okay. Uh, Brian Landreth wrote, I have a microwave I bought in 1979. <laughs> <laughs> it still works. I don't know if that's safe to use. Um, Let's see, uh, Tone Talk. Dave, would you make a custom build amp copy of your 50 watt Plexi now instead of the 20 watt you mentioned if a customer requested? Sure. Absolutely. Ooh. I plan on doing that eventually anyway. So, microwave story for you guys. 
I, I worked with Amana, who is, you know, the radar range was one of the, might have been the first microwave. I worked with one of the engineers that was on the original project that was designing those microwaves. They didn't have doors on their prototypes. <laughs> they would just run the thing and they would stick stuff in the oven and they had no regard whatsoever for the heat. He was convinced, and this guy was, you know, probably 20 years older than me, and, and he was convinced that the door was not a critical, you know, that, that the waves aren't going to escape and they weren't dangerous. Because we think of microwaves as, as like, dangerous. Like, I, I grew up thinking, oh, that if that door interlock fails, you're in trouble or whatever. But, yeah, they used to run all their prototypes with the doors off. And, I mean, it is dangerous, right? If if you're if you're have a body part in there for too long, but you know putting something in and out of it, it's just going to heat it up a little bit. Excuse me for one second. Sorry. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, L Scott L Scott Music said, "I just checked out the QSAC Music website and my my wallet wept." Nice. <laughs> Good. Buy some pedals. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the alert to come up. Five five zero three. Um, uh, okay, well, I'm not there, so I will I will call my wife. Oh, Dave's, we can hear Did Dave's you ring the doorbell or knock on the door? Uh, okay, Brett, are you going to GearFest at Sweetwater? Uh, John, are you not going, right? I'm not going, nope. Um, I am going. Um, I hear it's uh, it's sweltering hot. Yeah. That's all right. I live in Florida, so it should be all right. I'm kind yeah, of I went. I think I went last year or two years ago just so I could heckle the other pedal builders. But <laughs> this year, when is it this year? Uh, it's the 20th, I think. The 20th and the 21st, or 21st and 22nd, something like that. So that's the weekend after NAM? Or is it the weekend of NAM? It's the weekend after, I believe. Okay. No. It's it's in a week and a half. No, but when's Nam? When's Summer Nam? Isn't that in July? Oh, okay. So it's like a month ahead. Or yeah, I mean, I'm leaving in a, a week and a half from Monday. So for okay. the year, the year I went, it was the week before Nam. So I went to Gearfest, yes. and then I went to Nam on the way. That yes, was, that was a convenient trip for me that year. They should coordinate it a little bit better. Well, no, they they changed it. I forgot why they changed it that year, but uh, that was uh, that was good or bad. I don't know how to look at that one that time. <laughs> they should make it Monday and Tuesday before the weekend am. That way, I can just you know hit it on the way down and not right down, yeah, exactly, exactly. Although it's not too far from you. No. Yeah. So it's a quick, quick, easy ride. So speaking, since the show is called Tone Talk, I've, I've got a question related to tone. You know, obviously you, you must have an ear, John, for what you want to hear. And you, know, you said earlier, you know, making copies of pedals. So you really, it wasn't really your thing. Um, so what led you to, or how did you um, come about like making a better product or, you know, a better screamer or, you know, or like how did these things come about for you? Like from... Your, your was it like you know I, a customer asked you to do it or you you thought about it so a lot of it comes from what i want to hear in my head 
Um, an example is our Tapa delay. So I was ready to release the Tapa delay and I wasn't sure that I liked it yet. And I spent an extra week tweaking the circuit and I, you know, I just kept working on it and finally got to the point where I'm like, this thing sounds killer. And something I do that I think a lot of other people don't do, I don't listen to other pedals. I listen to my pedal. And when my pedal sounds like what I want it to sound like, and when I'm done with it, then I will listen to other pedals. Because I'm not trying to be as good as something. I'm trying to be what I want it to be. If that yeah. makes sense. So, you know, had I had I pulled my memory man and my memory lane and carbon copy, and I can't remember what else I, but I pulled out multiple delays after I was done with the tap of delay, and I was blown away. I'm like, holy crap, this thing kills all of these pedals, you know. Had I stopped a week prior, it probably would have been as good of, as them. But in my mind, you know, that extra week of getting what I wanted to hear got it to where it, where I needed it to be, you know. So to me, it's about what I want it to sound like, not does it sound as good as this, you know, because anybody can make something that sounds as good as something else. That's an interesting process. Um, Dave, do you go about that the same way or are you different? I don't listen to other amps. Pretty much never. I've already heard everything. I, I mean, I've heard most of everything over the course of my career, and um, there's not much that's that new. I mean, I was around when all those boutique brands were birthed, so to speak. And, uh, yeah, I don't really you know. I just designed for my ear. Same thing. I designed for me. I, I almost get no input. I almost design everything just for what I'm go for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes people hear it in the end, yeah. But, but at this point, I know what I want, what I'm going for with the amp. What about pedals? Same thing. Yeah. I, I know, but I know what um, I know what the point was for the pedal. You know, I know. In my in my head, I know what I was trying to target, and then I just have to execute that. And uh, we've done pretty well; we have a pretty good track record. Yeah. So, John, uh, when you when you've gotten to that point where, uh, for any of your products, have you ever designed a pedal and you went back to reference pedals and then said, "Oh shit, I need to go. I need to make mine better. Or I need to do a better job here. Or I need to add that." Or not really. I mean, because even if it sounds different or not as good, because as good as it's relative. Yeah, it's all subjective. Um, but if it sounds like what I want to want it to sound like, I don't care what, how it compares to something else. I mean, you know, obviously something like a delay, it has to have certain characteristics. Otherwise, you know, if it's muddy and gross and whatever, people aren't going to like it. So there are certain characteristics that they all have to meet, but beyond that, it's it's what I want it to sound like. You know, if that makes sense. Um, so no, I don't think I've ever 
compared it to something else and said, no, I got to start over. I started over a lot because I hate it, you know. And like, <laughs> things you ever, here's the question. Do you ever really love it? A and lot of them. I mean, the, the Tapa delay, I really love. I mean, that's one when I was done. And my Tapa world, those are two that I really were happy with. Like, when I finished both of those, I'm like, these are it. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I think I nailed this. Um, so, yeah, I, there are times where I'm really happy. There are times where I could, I think I could do better, but given what I have, this is the best this is going to do. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's there's a certain point where this circuit can't be tweaked anymore, you know? Cool. Um, BMO has a question for you, John. What is your next product going to be? Next product. So we are working on several things right now. Um, we are working on a, uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this one. Um, Mojo is releasing some stuff at NAM. I'll say that. Um, Summer so, now. Yeah. And that's going to be, uh, it, we're going to release one or two models at NAM, and then there's going to be other models coming out. Um, then we are working on uh, a new gain pedal that we're going to have out at, uh, at NAM. Um, I guess amp in a box type of thing, you know. Um, so that'll be out at NAM, and we have a switching pedal that may be out at NAM. That's depending on whether I get the software done for it. Um, we're working on a, uh, uh, a concept where you have, the pedal has two pedal boards. So you have a left pedal board and a right pedal board, and... If your guitar goes in, it's going to go out to both pedal boards, and the left pedal board is going to go out to the left amp, and the right pedal board is going to go out to the right amp. Typical routing. But this will let you cross them over. So you can decide that now the left amp is going to get both. So you, you can mix how much of the left and the right pedal board the left amp is going to get. And you can mix how much the left and the right pedal board the right amp is going to get. So let's say you have one pedal board that's all your drive pedals and one that's all your wet pedals, for instance. So you could have a wet amp and a dry amp, but then you could mix some of the wet in with the dry if you wanted. Uh, it's also gonna allow you to, to uh, swap the two amps. So you could now, basically, what was going to the left amps going to the right, what was going to the right is now going to the left. So it, it's basically kind of like a, a routing pedal for creating a stereo sound with mono pedals. You know, a lot of people are looking for, you know, full stereo setups, which to me, very few people use full stereo setups very well. And I think they're, you know, there's a limit to how useful that is. But to have a stereo setup with multiple amps where you can use all the pedals you already have, you know, that, that's something that's kind of unique where you don't have to buy all stereo pedals. You can buy a bunch of mono pedals and still have a stereo setup mm -hmm. and have different character to the two sides of your setup. 
And, you know, you could use it for many other ways. But what I described was that we have a couple guys here that have prototypes of this thing, and, and that's how they use it. You know, they have different setups where, where they want to be able to, to have the two sounds, but then be able to mix them sometimes. Um, and then the other advantage is you do a smaller gig. Now you can take one amp and still get both your pedal boards going to that amp without you know doing a whole lot of change to your setup. You just hit a pedal, you hit a switch, and all of a sudden you've got both your your loops going to that one amp. Bless you. That's cool. And the amp in a box, what's it supposed to uh, sound like? So that one is going to sound M-ish. So, so basically, it's gonna, it's, he's copying my pedal. Am I? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Can you send me the schematic? <laughs> I can. <laughs> no, that one's pretty much done at this point. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, it's uh, that one I really like a lot. It's it's based on something we currently build, and uh, the one we currently build there there was a couple problems with that one. It didn't it didn't sound great, and it's, I thought it sounded good, but it didn't sound great. And we tweaked it to make it sound great. And we're also not going to give it a dumb name, so we're going to name this one not dumb and then maybe people will buy it i think i think the other one didn't sell because it just had a dumb name uh, gotcha interesting back to the marketing skills right exactly <laughs> uh yeah marketing is important um if the stereo pedal will have isolation transformers phase shift okay uh, i just saw that question there so sure. that the, the the stereo loop that we're going to the pedal we're doing the, the second output is uh, a, a transformer isolated output, and there is a phase switch on it. Thank you. So many people make pedals like that with no, like, no isolation or anything of any kind, and I'm like, you know, this isn't going to work, right? <laughs> yeah, and there is, there's also... There's also a ground lift on it, so it can be completely isolated or it can be ground. Yeah. So it's you know, Great. depending on the setup, sometimes you need the ground. So. Yeah. So Dave, there was a question about the JJ Junior. So today is actually the launch of the JJ Junior, right? Today is the launch, although several people jumped the gun, but yes, today, today was the official launch. Technically, <laughs> a lot, a lot of companies jumped the gun. No, yeah, you know, well, you know, maybe. It's hot. A hot yeah, product. It's, it's uh you know, it's a very difficult task to tell people no. Well, Here you have it, you can't sell it. Contractually they're <laughs> supposed to. It's a long yeah, it's not as easy as that. Really? That's For some it is. It just depends on who the dealer is that you're talking about violated the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, then how they buy? Well, did they sell out? Oh, those, those amps are sold out for sure. We're out. You're out. You're out. We're out. Completely out. Wow. How many amps is that? Uh, 
you know what? I don't remember what the last count was. A few hundred. Oh, okay. That's still impressive. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, and there's more on the books. So, I mean, you know, we just have to make more now. So then, how long? How long does that take? Depends on when the parts come in. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's uh, not a perfect science, and 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 telling you times, uh, because often uh, vendors will tell you a certain time, and then the not really that time <laughs> they're late and then that holds things up and so we'll see as fast as we can cool. more than a week less than a year correct more than a week and less than a year that's a that's a good way to answer it <laughs> when's it coming out well <laughs> not in a week but less than a year <laughs> Uh, John Sims asks, which pedal would sound the most like the Yardbirds for your love or heart full of soul from the Yardbirds? I would imagine a treble booster, some kind of treble booster, but that would be my guess. I don't have an answer for that. Me neither. Uh, Jerry Garcia. What's that? I was going to say whatever they used. (laughs) Yeah, I don't (laughs) know. I don't know. I would imagine a treble booster. I thought that's what they used back then. Um, just got here. Cheers from Boca. Wow. Not too far away from me. Um, it's about a half hour away. So for all you Florida guys, what's wrong with people in Florida? Dude, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's... You're from York, so I can say that. Yeah, it's just... <laughs> Crazy. There's some interesting news stories from Florida. Let me just say that. That's all I have to say. Well, it's like it's even gotten its own moniker. It's like only in Florida, yeah. and then they and then they show like the the. Cra- I, I, I used to go to Florida a lot as a kid because my grandmother lived there and stuff, and and so there's kind of a soft spot for some of some of Florida, mm-hmm. but uh, not all of Florida. Well, I don't go to Miami. Well, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah, that's like, a, like that's I, a different. That's not what I'm really talking about, Miami. But oh, okay, the whole different kind of thing. Well, you went, did you say you went to the west coast of Florida? Is that where you were? Uh, well, I had one grandmother that lived in Miami, so I got some of that, and then I also had a grandmother that lived in Marco Island. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Golf. Right. When when Marco Island wasn't all built up. Right. It was. I remember I, I watched it be built up. And uh, it was quite cool in the early days when there was old Navy base still on it that was just had just been abandoned and stuff. And mm. uh, it's interesting yeah. watching, watching that build up and kind of remembering the the old times there. And it was it was different. I'm sure it was quiet. Yeah, it's cool though. And you ever nice go to, beaches. Yeah, the beaches are gorgeous. You ever go to Captiva? Uh. Uh-uh. Which is uh-uh. like it's right by there. Captiva Island. Next, next thing I want to do is go to the Keys. We're doing that in July, actually. Down in the Keys somewhere. I'm looking forward to that. What just, about you, John? Just... Any vacations? I'm going to Nam in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll be spending some time in Nashville. Yep. John, you have a wife and kids. I have a wife and a 15 year old son. Oh, okay. Yep. So he's almost grown. Yep. Yeah, I got a 14-year-old son just about to go into high school. 
Yeah. I was done, but then I have an eight-year-old now. Yep. Oops. (laughs) Three three older daughters, you know, 20, shoot, she 27 now? 26 or 27 and 24 and 22 or something close to that. I was always bad with their birthdays. (laughs) (laughs) You start to lose track after a while. As long as you know their names are good. I I know their names. It took me years (laughs) to actually know their birthdays. It's hard. I don't Sometimes know if I had a mental block for the birth. I mean, I knew roughly when it was. <laughs> That's a horrible. <laughs> don't don't forget your anniversary. That's the most important. I can't. Yeah. Why it's your birthday? I can't, or something? I can't forget the anniversary because I, we we got married on ten ten ten. Oh. It's That's an impossible enough. date to re- forget. Yeah. That's easy yeah. enough. Um, this is a great comment. The Fun Box Ohio says. This is a great nuts and bolts business talk. No booze or hookers or blow stories, but sometimes honest work makes the world go round as well. <laughs> I had some wine. <laughs> it's a pretty clean show tonight. We'll have Jake back, Jakey Lee. I don't know, John, if you saw the Jake, Jakey, Jakey Lee. Jakey Lee come back soon, so don't worry. We'll, we'll go back there. Well, maybe not as far. <laughs> no. Yeah, I didn't see that one yet. Oh yeah, that's that's a that's a good train wreck. It was also a four-hour show, so chances of me watching it all is slim. Yeah, yeah, you got to do that. <laughs> Several parts, and it was quite the evening. It's nice and sloppy for me towards the end. Oh yeah, the best part, Dave. The best part was when like, I re-asked the same question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We you were just, <laughs> you, and then that was like, okay, we're done. <laughs> Yeah, that was it. That was it. We're done. When I re-asked the question I asked earlier in the show. Yeah, Jake's like, okay, we're done. We already answered that. (laughs) It was great. You're like, okay. To fill you in, we we proceeded to drink an entire bottle of scotch on the air between the two of us. And and before that, I had had some beer on top of that. So, um, and then we proceeded to go out after that. So it didn't end pretty. We were in Las Vegas, though. Hey. Exactly. Um, John Sims has a question. What about 12AX7 ECC 83 tubes in a preamp-style pedal? Is it a good idea? People do it. It's been done a million times, and here's the thing. Tube pedals don't sell. I made two really cool tube pedals. They just don't sell. In the history of pedals, tube pedals don't sell. Weird. So, is, the weird it because thing, is it because they're it, bigger? Yeah, maybe it's bigger or whatever. They just don't sell. I I mean, compared to regular pedal, mm-hmm. they generally cost more. They're bigger. Oh, so Throwback wrote. Uh, throwback is in Grand Rapids. John Cusack has made our pedal stuff for years. That's cool. That must be John Gundry. Yeah. Who, who I who I do not know personally, but John, I'd love to meet you sometime. Yeah. Come on the show. Yeah. That'd be great. Come on the show. Yep. Um, he said, in Michigan, the Midwest, there's a lot of manufacturing that have a history with guitars and guitar parts. Well, clearly Gibson, right? Yeah. 
Gibson and later, uh, you know, Heritage and mm-hmm. and uh, probably some other thrown in there. I just can't think of. Uh, he mentions there's a string company there too. GHS. Chess. Hmm. Rocktron. Rocktron. Uh, uh, Cars in Depth says the arm and tremolos were made in Toledo, just over the border. Uh, that's like being in Michigan. <laughs> Sister close. state. Close enough. Close enough. Interesting. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of good I, I saw a question about uh, Tapa Delay. He was asking the difference between our Tapa Delay and our Deluxe. So the difference between those is the they're the same circuit. The Deluxe has an extra switch that basically sets the repeats to infinite or almost infinite. So you can uh, have it hold out there while you're playing, and then you hit it and it goes back to wherever this the knob was before. So other so other than that, those two are basically the same pedal. Hmm. I have a question for you, John. I saw that you you have the um, the cable tester. Yes, that's a really interesting pedal because I've never seen anybody have a pedal like that before. Um, can you describe it and? Um, yeah, so that came about because I would use George L's or various other solderless cables, and they would work, but they wouldn't sound as good, or they would fail quickly, or you know, you'd move them and they would cut out. And what I found was, if you built them. Like when I build cables, I use an ohmmeter and I test every one. Most people don't do that. But if you test them and they're under an ohm of resistance, then they're going to be good. And when I would do that personally, they would last a long time. You could put them out in the field and they'd last a long time. They're over an ohm. That means there's not a good connection. It could be 100 ohms and you could run it for a long time and you'd never notice 100 ohms in series with the tip of your plug. But it's a sign that the cable wasn't built right, and it's going to fail prematurely, and it's also going to potentially have a difference in sound because the 100 ohms, depending on what pedal it's going into and the capacitance of the cable itself, under different circumstances, it might start to sound different, especially after that resistance goes up. So the cable tester tests for an ohm. So if, if it's not less than an ohm, the light won't come on. So if you build you know, any solderless cable, if the light comes on, it's under an ohm and it's probably gonna be a good cable. It's probably gonna last a lot longer out in the field and you're not gonna have you know, sound issues with it. So that's where that came from. It could also be used for soldered cables as well, I'd imagine, right? Sure, but the, I mean, the, 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 the whole purpose was to verify solderless, but there's no reason, yeah, you could use it for a solder cable. What it, what The one thing it doesn't check is for shorts. So if you have the, the tip to sleeve shorted, it doesn't check for that because, again, its purpose was for building solderless cables. Right. So, you know, we didn't put anything in there for measuring short ca- shorted cables. So if you had a shorted cable it would, and, and both tip and sleeve were good, it would call it good. Interesting. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Um, 
Joe Hervey 84 says, I'm seeing a lot of Harley Benton video videos lately. Anyone uh, lately, anybody else seeing these videos? I've seen some Harley Benton videos. I'm, Harley I, Benton is, is Tomon's brand. Um, so Tomon is a big retailer in Europe, you know, sort of the guitar center of Europe, so to speak, or Sweetwater of Europe, or however you want to, something like that. And uh, they have their own line. They make pretty good quality, cheap stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where their guitars are made, but I know that uh, Henning Pauly is big into them. Yeah, and actually, I played his his little model that he had with them, and it's it's quite a good guitar. Oh, nice. Um, speaking of guitars, uh, the Dogpa says in the chat, "Love the look of the guitar in the back." Um, what guitar is that? Is that a Yamaha, John? Oh no, that is uh, that's a Skylark. So that was made by uh, I. How do you pronounce her name? Mat Matsum, the Japanese guitar company that makes the Ibanez and the Aria. What are they? Matsumoto or Matsum? Yeah, Sato? yeah, those guys. Yeah. So that guitar was made in the eighties. Um, there was a the the Skylarks were made for another company. The that company didn't take the order, so Sears bought them and put them in the Sears catalog. Nah. And I had that not that one, but I had the exact same model when I was in high school. It was the second guitar I ever owned, and uh, you know went to college, worked at a music store. It was a Skylark, an unknown you know an, an unknown brand. So I had to replace it with an Ibanez cause, or Yamaha. I can't remember, but whatever our, you know, whatever the store I worked for pushed on me. Um, so I had to sell it and uh, regretted it and took years to find another one. I was on eBay and uh, Reaver for years trying to find another one. And finally, about two years ago, found one on Reverb and, and you know, bought it again. So... It's a, it's not a neck through body, but it's a, uh, I guess you call it a, a glue on. Right. So, but it's got really nice. Oh, it's nice. It's cool. <laughs> nice woodwork and. Yeah, it's totally cool. Yeah. I just, I've always, I always loved it and I regretted selling it. And so it's one of those things where I'm an adult now and I don't care how much it costs. I'm going to have this guitar again, you know? <laughs> yeah. I threatening to do that with my first amp and first guitar. I do have my first pedal, uh, uh, which was a horrible MXR Overdrive Command Series. So it was the plastic. Oh, area. yeah. Remember those? And uh, actually sounds pretty good. But I mean, like, literally, you don't want to stomp on it too many times. It would literally fall apart. Uh, actually, that whole series, all of them sound pretty good. The phaser, the flanger, all that stuff. It's like same technology they used before, same circuits, right? In a plastic box. So as long as you're not stomping on them, you're you're okay. Right. But uh, I had a Fender Music Master and a Silverface Deluxe. That was my first amps with that pedal. And uh, God, I wish I still had that. Boy, I put that guitar through hell. <laughs> I sanded it and painted it and did all sorts of crap to it. And I wish I had it all original. What guitar was it again? I'm sorry, I missed it. Fender Music Master. Music Master. Gotcha. The short scale Music Master with one pickup in the neck. Mm -hmm. I just wish I had it for posterity's sake, you know, just 
just because. Silverface Deluxe, that was cool, too. Yeah. Then yeah. I got Solid State PV after that. Ooh. No. Yeah, I don't want my first guitar. It was a K with a plywood body and a plywood neck. <laughs> you guys ever seen one of those? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't ever want this that. high. Right. Yeah, it was horrible. Another guitar I regret getting rid of is I had a, a two pickup Sears double cut silver tone. Uh, that was like a red sparkle burst sort of thing. Uh, originally would have come with the amp in the case, case, but oh, yeah. I, I didn't have that. But I wish I hadn't got rid of that either. <laughs> My biggest regret on an instrument is a PRS custom 24 no custom 22 that i had uh that was a relatively older one um i think in the older factory and uh it was lefty of course and um you know so it was a lower production run prs and i sold it and now i just i'd kicked myself in the ass for for that one for years and why i sold it so that's just one of those things um, Dave, there's a question for you from Del Delavinth. Uh, like the S, the SAT switch and negative feedback option you have, is that built into the 50 small box? No. No, not at all. Could it be? Maybe. Um, but it's not standardly in there. No. <laughs> Rick Hollis wrote, I just tuned in and Dave leaves. Do I smell that bad? I know, I saw that. Hey, Rick, how are you? <laughs> uh, Rick's funny, man. Um, how you doing on time, John? I know we're just, we just hit the two-hour mark. You all right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Just by, by the way, I just want to throw out. Um, so Signum Cables is going to be at Summer Nam. So sorry we're going to miss you, Vinny. Yeah, sorry, Vinny. The year you decide to go, we, we don't. Yeah, that's too bad. Um, but we'll see you. So, um, Dave, did you ever try the BE50 with 5881s? This is from Jim Becker. What's up, Jim? Not not specifically the BE50. I've tried BE100s and, and things. And, uh, you know, the... the Frankly, they're not all that different from an EL34 in sound. In fact, you'd be surprised if you put one amp next to the other with those two different brands of tubes. Um, as long as you're not pushing it real hard, they, they're very similar. If not, you could almost dial it the same. Maybe change the control slightly. Uh so, I mean, as you push them harder, they change a little bit, but most people don't push the amps that hard anyway. Okay. Yeah. Nick, They're good. Sound good. In fact, I might be switching all my combos to 5881s because they uh, they behave themselves better in a combo box. It's all rattling around with the speaker. Hmm. That's always my biggest problem with the combo amps. Why I always go with a head and a, and a combo amps are the, the living plague. It's it's like there's always like a rattle. You know, there, there's almost no way like some low end resonance is gonna rattle something in a combo. Yeah, 
it's, it's, it's the worst. The yeah. worst. Uh, luckily, ours are designed in a way that they don't generally rant, rattle very much. But I've I've seen with other brands that Avi manufactures, like Tone King and stuff. Oh, oh boy! <laughs> really? It's always a wrestle to go through to try to get those cabinet resin. Yeah, because there's a certain resonant frequency, and then just everything will vibrate. Right. Doesn't matter what it is, the whole room will vibrate. You know. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's why I, ca- I I went through my things with cabs, and the only cab I have is my that PV fifty one fifty cab. But combo. Yeah, I mean, excuse me, the combo. Yeah. The heaviest combo ever known to man. Yes, that's why it doesn't move. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. Um, little off topic. This is from Nathan Warner, and I'm not sure if you know this, uh, but does Dave Noer able to describe the two amps offered at? Bruce Eggnator's amp building class. Anything like Dave's amps, like the PT20? Um, well, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be wrong. One is, I think, an 18-watt style amp or a lower wattage style amp, and one is a 40 or 50-watt amp, if I'm correct. And... Uh, uh, you know, you know, I don't know what the latest circuit is. The last time I saw it, I mean, it's a hot rotted Marshall type circuit. I mean, it's not my circuits exactly, but it's it's uh, it's you know, yeah, somewhat, somewhat like my stuff. Okay, and Vinny an- answered him. Uh, he said they are akin to a JCM eight JCM eight hundred type of amp, one channel, twenty watt. And 50 watt, nice amp. I took the class, easily tweakable. Yeah. Um, Dave, how does your 50 watt plexi mention differ from your channel one, two, or three on a 100 deluxe? Kind of a totally sort of different thing. Um, I mean, I guess if you cranked channel one of the new 100 deluxe. And when I mean cranked, I mean turn it on 10 kind of thing. Then, you know, it's similar. Um, other than that, it's similar to a plexi. If the gain's all the way up on channel one on that amp, it's similar to a plexi with everything at about five or six. Um, so very ACDC sort of like. Uh, but really, it's it's two different animals, so to speak. I mean, like, if I do the the 50 plexi, it's going to be a traditional crank it and go amp. Gotcha. So, which um, most people don't do anymore. BMO, I think we answered this question already about what's your next great product. Unless Dave wants to answer if he has anything coming out. Just the new deluxe, and then I don't know what's for next year. Maybe I do, but I'm not going to say. I'm just going through the questions um, just to see what else we got. John, all the earliest guitar effects were electromechanical devices. Can a digital device truly replicate the quirks of a non-linearities of an electron? I can't even speak. Electromechanical device. Did you get that? Yep. Uh, 
Theoretically, yes. With the current technology, no. That's my short answer. Um, there are there are <clears throat> certain things that are really hard to replicate with a DSP. Um, response time is a huge one. The latency of a DSP system is still in the milliseconds range, and that's something that you can feel. You know, when you when you hit a pick, and the delay from when that comes out of the speaker five milliseconds is noticeable. So a lot of that, you know, is what leads to people especially the early line six stuff where you, you just it, it it sounded great but it didn't feel right and i think a lot of that was the latency of uh you know the, the whole system um but then also you know trying to get all the little nuances of, a, of an electronic circuit digitally you'd have to spend a lot of time on the dsp catching every little thing because different pieces of the circuit are gonna clip differently at different frequencies at you know different stages in the circuit so yeah theoretically you could but there's there's always going to be differences between what a digital system can do and what an analog system can do similar to monitors remember when we went to uh uh digital tv all of a sudden there was no analog tv anymore what was that 10 years ago maybe maybe yeah. switch did you, did you guys notice the resolution went down like things weren't as clear initially because of the number of pixels you had on the screen. You had theoretically enough pixels on the screen, but the human eye can kind of see that the pixelation of the, of the image, whereas the original video signal is analog all the way. Even though it had a, a, a finite number of lines, it had infinite across the vertical. Or sorry, yeah, horizontal. I know what you're talking about. So, so you could actually start seeing the pixels in the early digital TVs. So it did good enough that most people never noticed. But if you're, you know, someone like me that at the time when that was all happening, I was dealing with, with video stuff. So I, I noticed it and I looked for it. Mm. And, you could, and you could notice that things just weren't the same. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, you can get pretty darn close. And, and we make some DSP pedals and I think they sound killer. Um, but I'm not trying to duplicate an original old analog circuit with any of them either. They're, you know, they're what they are. So what's David's opinion on that? I, I think, you know, I think I would agree with everything you just said. You know, it's, it's like uh, digital can, for some things, um, be great. Um, but nothing, you know, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I've brought this up before that I find interesting. Um so let's go back to digital processors um, that existed, say, uh, late 80s or something, right? So you had all these low-bit uh, D to A and A to D converters, and they weren't, you know, technology wasn't that advanced yet. But you were coming from a time where um, audio file the audio circuits were great. I mean, you, you, you'd get a piece of studio gear and it had a service manual that's like, you know, that thick, you know, and uh, the, the, the audio circuits were um, great sounding. The DDAs and ADDs weren't that great, but those units sound better than stuff today. But the audio circuits today are generally not designed as well but the A to D and D to A's are better. 
So there's 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 my some of my theory on everything. You know, analog. I mean, there's a certain uh, there's some things that have been lost over the years. I think, um, in how things are designed, and it doesn't have to be that way. I'm not saying every company is that way, but you know, sometimes it, for cheap to market, you know, we have the great A to Ds and D to As, but then the audio circuit around it's shit. Right. So if the audio circuit is shit, then so is it. It's shit. Still, I mean. I mean, not so much in high-end recording equipment and things like that. It's still, you know, it's still done well. Um, but, you know, you know, find a, you know, you talked about working on all those old stereos and stuff, right? Man, those old stereos sound really good. A lot of them did. I mean, really, really good. And today, you put it, you, you know, get one of those receivers and you put it up and put something on and through some decent speakers and you're just like, oh, my God, that sounds amazing. And anything new, it's just like, God, it doesn't sound good. <laughs> Find any old tube receiver and tune it to talk radio. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That that sound of yeah. You know, the old tube receivers just had something about them that yeah, was yeah. just killer. Yeah. This, this, uh, so, man, I, I think I think as with a lot of things in this world, I think there's um, some stuff that has been lost over the years. That I, you know, I don't know if we'll ever regain. Yeah, maybe. It's like trying to find someone to plaster your house. You know what I mean? Yeah, yep. It's like uh, that—that's a lost art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was an art too. <laughs> yeah, I bet it. Yeah, it is. I mean, well, now they—they they, they just take drywall now and just slam it up on the wall and. Yeah. yeah, I had plaster work done a couple of years ago on our previous building, and yeah, there aren't very many plaster guys in this. There are plaster guys in this area, but there aren't very many of them. How old are they? They're my age or older, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's not many of them anymore, and um, nothing quite like plaster. It's just, yeah. I think it's a, just a group, amazing old finish, and drywall is just, you know, cardboard by comparison. Right. Yeah. Um, same, same thing. <laughs> yeah. Merkava, Merkava 2099 says, Hey Dave, do you know what kind of distortion pedal Jeremy Crow is using in the Bucks and Betty demo? Uh, Bucks and Betty demo. You know, I don't remember at this point. Um, I don't know. I'll I'll ask him. <laughs> I forgot. I don't remember. Okay. Does he not say in the video? I haven't seen the video, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Nathan Warner says, "Hey, John has nine point five string sets. Call me weird, but I like that in between set. I think I'll order some." You sell strings too, John? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Your own manufactured strings, or uh, they're manufactured here in Michigan for us. Uh, there's a not well-known company here, and it's not it's not GHS, um, a not a not well-known string manufacturer that will do customs. So we get it done by them. Cool. Wow. Nine point fives. Those are always cool. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, going through questions here. Um, so, Dave, you're you're leaving for Sweetwater Fest Gear Fest Monday? No. The following Monday, I thought you said. No, it's Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, a week and a half from Monday. From Monday. <laughs> I see. Okay. Or I guess a week and three days. Not quite half. Uh, Brian Stewart says no <laughs> blow stories, no hookers. I'm out. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Well, that'll come later. That's another show. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things, though, when Jake's wife came up and said, "I'm going to leave now because I I've been approached multiple times as a hooker." That was funny. That was funny. That was so funny. Uh, Dave, can you mod a 100 Deluxe to have both the Steve Stevens clean mentioned earlier and the stock Plexi clean? Oh, man. No. Well, no, not really. <laughs> Gotta be one or the other. Oh, really? Yeah. Literally, it's all the pots are different. Can't. Just do that. Uh, Joe, I'd like to say yes, but no. There you go. Why no one likes the Marshall Code Series amps? Because they suck. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe Hervey, but they're horrible. I've actually seen online so many people have talked about their Marshall Code amps are breaking down. They're, they've got all kinds of problems. They're cheap. Someone wrote, they don't sound good, Joe Hervey. <laughs> they aren't even remotely in the same class as a Friedman. Well, that's true. Um, yes, Tom Dick, Steve I is at GearFest this year. Yeah, what's that? What's the story with that? Is he play, playing or? Don't know what he's doing. I don't know if it's a clinic. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure, but I know he's there for Synergy. Oh, he's there for synergy. Yeah. Killer. Are they releasing something? A buy module. So is that going to be called like Crossroads or something? Or I don't know what. I, I honestly don't know. I I don't know what it's going to be called. Uh, someone wrote, "Oh my God, you're in Holland, Michigan. I was just there for the Tulip Festival." Yeah, tulip time. It's the world's largest tulip festival. That's that's the week everybody in Holland goes and does something else. <laughs> Let's get out of town. <laughs> the tulip Let's get festival. out. <laughs> All these crazy people are coming here. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Someone wrote, "My Hawkins amp is made in Michigan." Hawkins? Hawkins. I never heard of Hawkins. Heard of it. Yeah, me either. Um, oh, I want to thank Ben Coombs uh, for being in the chat and monitoring the chat tonight. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, uh, Ben. His sister, too, Amanda. How's it going? Um, let me see. Yeah, what? and Pete, Pete Thorne will also be at GearFest. Oh, really? Yeah, he's doing a uh, something for the Line 6 Helix or some sort of clinic or something. Star, star packed. 
It's like I'm going. Bunch of other people do, probably. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward it to gets going. Bigger. It gets bigger every year. Someone told me to go down the slide. Oh, yeah, you'll see what that is. Okay. To go down the slide. Yeah, it was Nilly. She was telling me to go down. Yeah, that's it. Uh, here's a bypass question. True bypass, optical true bypass, relay true bypass. Also, can aging faulty amp circuit components cause amp leak DC back to pedal causing popping? Uh, uh, well, John? So let's start with the popping. Yeah, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, you could get leakage if there's not a blocking cap on the input of the amplifier, which a lot of tube amps don't have. Most do you, don't. Do yours have them? No. Probably not. No. So if you have uh, DC leaking uh, into the input, it is possible it could lead back to the next pedal and cause popping. Um, but so can leakage of any cap on any pedal along the signal chain. Um, so any amount, you know, millivolts of DC will cause pop. It doesn't take much voltage at all to cause a pop. So, yeah, that is possible. Right. Um, as far as true bypass, buffered bypass, all that, um, man, this industry, it's been pounded in the, this industry's head that everything has to be true bypass. And, you know, I, it's one of those things that, you you know, so many things in the industry you fight because everybody thinks that you have to have a certain thing. Well, you know, I get asked quite often, can you make a delay pedal that has trails, but I want it to be true bypass? No. <laughs> and it's like trying to explain to somebody who doesn't understand the fact that they're asking the question means I can't explain to them why they can't have it because it's, they don't understand the difference between what trails is and what true bypass is. So, you know, a good buffer is great and you don't need true bypass. There are certain circumstances though, you know, certain pedals need to see the pickup. Otherwise they don't sound the same and they don't respond the same to the volume knob and all that. Does any reverb pedal need true bypass? Probably not. Does any delay pedal need true bypass? Probably not. But the buffer has to be good. It has to, you know, maintain the, the original signal integrity and pass that on to the next pedal. So in that case, buffered bypass can be superior. And it's got to have a low noise floor. Yeah. Because there's so many pedals, um, shall we say more digital pedals, uh, that maybe don't have an analog drive path that have a, a huge uh, noise floor. Right. Uh, just hiss. Uh, Eventide, for instance. Eventide H9, if you're putting it in front of an amp, it's hissy as hell. Yeah. If you leave so, that... So, if you so leave their dry it, signal is still going through the DSP? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, something like a Strymon isn't. Because that's uh, that has an analog drive path, and uh, and uh, there's a, there's a quiet. I mean, the Boss DD500 is analog drive path as long as you don't 
do some particular mode, which I can't remember what it is in it, but it is, and and that's relatively quiet. It maybe adds a little hiss, but um, you know, there's some sums to be expected, of course, but but I can't stand ones that have this huge, huge noise floor, uh, you know, unless you put it in true bypass mode, which you can with the eventide and take it out of the chain, but um, I don't know. <laughs> Just it seems like you need to get it quieter. Yep. I think sometimes pedal manufacturers don't um, don't actually physically try some of this stuff, shall we say, into a dirty amp. Um, you know, well, what does this sound like into a cranked up or dirty amp? Someone's going to put it in front of one, guaranteed. Right. And, uh, and they're, they're 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 engineers. And they don't even listen to it that way. What do you mean? It's perfectly quiet. What are you talking about? There's a clock noise and there's <laughs> Oh, we don't hear that here. What are you test how are you testing it? <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. yeah, one thing I I have a pedal called a screamer fuzz, which is a a pretty high gain pedal. It's yeah. it, it'll bring out everything and I like to put that before and after effects to see what it's gonna do to them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, because, I mean, there's a whole bunch of, if you listen to it, if, if you're a small pedal builder that doesn't know any better, and you're listening to your pedals into a complete clean pedal platform, which a lot of pedal companies and thing people you do with pedals, might just seem perfectly fine. But then put that same pedal into a, a you know, a raging dirty amp, which someone will do, and it'll bring out every noise that's existing in the pedal. It's important to listen that way also. Yep. Or they ship it with a, a, a switching power supply wall ward that in itself is causing all sorts of noise. Oh, yeah. That happens all the time. TC, it's just like so many. It's just like you plug it in and you just, you just touch the ground of the, of the adapter to the ground of the pedal and you go... Err. I'm like, oh. <laughs> of course. That's the problem. Uh, Jerry Garcia says, "Anyone try a Chapman guitar?" I am. I assume that's what he means, Chapman guitar. Uh, I've seen that. I haven't personally tried them. Me either. I haven't. I haven't seen any in person or any lefties. I've seen them in person when I was in Europe. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't pick one up. I hear they're cool. Yeah. Um. Someone said Wi-Fi weak, cutting in and out. That must be yours, because we've got a good connection tonight. Yeah, it's been pretty good, solid. Yeah. Um. Dave, do you just sign guitar certificates ahead of time before the serial numbers and info are put on the certificate for the guitars? That's an interesting question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I yep. see most of the guitars, and my partner tests most of the guitars. But yeah, we 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 Grover and I both sign them. You don't you don't like hand sign it in front of the guitar and then give the guitar a hug and all that. There's no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he did that to my guitar. Now I feel like it's kind of just not special anymore. <laughs> That's funny. Um, 
I, I think it's a nice touch, though. I will add that you guys give. No, a I mean we make the certificate, and and I do see almost all the guitars before they go out. So it's not like it's not you know, yeah. it's it's tended to. And then you know every amp that goes out, I sign personally. So uh, you know because I test every single one. Um. So there you go. Brian Landreth wrote, I switched to 5881s in my combo for exactly that reason. Hmm. Tom Dick said, recently emailed Friedman, and actually Dave responded himself very fast. That is why he kicks ass. Well, that's because I get every single email that anyone sends to FriedmanApps at gmail.com. Or Facebook, or form PMs or my other email at racksystemsyahoo.com or one of several other ways to get a hold of me. <laughs> uh, do you, Tom Dick says, do you think it's going to rain at GearFest this year? I sure hope not, but we've had very bad luck for a lot of years. <laughs> well, I'll be driving up there Friday afternoon. And I'll be there all day on Saturday, so I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully, it won't rain. So, what's the deal with it? Is it's outside or is it inside? Uh, some of it's inside. Some of the clinics and uh, um, clinics and 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 uh, you know, recording uh, clinics and different things are inside. And then uh, there's also a big, huge canopy-covered stage that's outside that they have mm -hmm. different clinics and performances on. Um, that's almost like a concert venue, like a huge stage. I mean, huge. When I say huge canopy, I mean like a huge permanent, like outdoor, like canopy stage area. And then the rest are in tents outside. Okay. So most all the vendors are outside. Wow. And it's shorts weather, right? I mean... Definitely. Well, it's, I, I don't think it's not shorts weather. I've never seen it where it's not shorts weather. Um, okay. So it's either going to be raining or partially raining, or if we're really lucky, it'll be only about 80 and breezy and nice. Right, well, I'm, I'm hoping other for than that. that. Other than that, it can be miserable and wet. Ugh. All right. We have umbrellas, though. We come prepared now. <laughs> I'll, come, I'll come with an umbrella. Um, Johnny Bean says, hey, everyone. What's up, Johnny? Um, let's see. L. Scott Music. I could care less if a digital thing sounds exactly what, like what it models, if it sounds good. There you go. Great. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, um, a couple delays that emulate tape delays and they're pretty close I think I never had an actual tape delay so I don't know but I we just have to tell you that it sounds like a tape delay and as long as you believe it everybody's happy <laughs> <laughs> well so I yeah I'm happy because I, I, I've never owned a tape delay. Or... You know, it sounds exactly like a tape delay. Then. All right, then I'm happy. There you go. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Done. Um, 
Modern Vintage says, Dave, since the mic nomo is analog and passive, would it retain frequencies and harmonics that an aux waza and all IRs would not? Second best option to cabs and mics. Uh, could, could you just repeat the whole thing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since the mic nomo is analog and passive, would it retain frequencies and harmonics that an aux, wazo, or all I, IRs would not capture? I think an IR is probably, uh, although our analog capturing is good, uh, I think an IR is more accurate to what a cabinet sounds like. So I, I think that answers it. Okay. So no, not necessarily. So someone was asking about um, companies that still have tube receivers. And they mentioned uh, the dog play says Fisher, Macintosh, and Klipsch. That new Macintosh stuff is not great, though. Oh, really? It's expensive no. as shit. The new Macintosh stuff, don't, don't, it's not the same thing. <laughs> I have a friend that works with me that does work in a high-end audio file stereo place now. He's the head repair tech, so take it for my word. <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't waste your money on that stuff. There's better stuff. <laughs> That's what it is. Modern Vintage. Uh, Freeman Amplification. Now everyone would want a four-channel BE Super Deluxe with a Steve Stevens Clean. <laughs> it never ends a four channel <laughs> i'm making a 10 channel app guys 10 channels how about that 10 uh, 10 channels you'll need a car to, a, a big truck to move it the observer why is sharon osborne such a horrible person <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Um, L. Scott Music. Dave should get Orianti to try an amp. She just signed on with Orange, I saw. Yeah, that was that was going to happen for a while, but um, then she broke up with Richie, and then that kind of, I don't know. Mm. Or he broke up with her, uh, whatever happened there. Uh Mercav2099 says, Dave, I was at Chicago Music Exchange and they didn't have any Freeman guitars. What's up with that? Uh, good question. I'll have to ask my sales guy. Okay. BMO says, Tone Talk, can you please tell us about some upcoming guests? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so our next guest actually is Nilly Brosh. Um, and Nilly is not available on the 28th, Dave. So she asked if we can move it to like the 27th, which is a Thursday, or we can do it another day with her. Uh, okay. Um, Figure that out. and then, uh, I know that we're, we've got a few other folks, uh, Chris Van Tassel I'm working on, uh, Adam Reaver for FU Tone is coming on we got to work out dates um i'm a little slacking on getting dates 
with folks. And I know Dave just gave me a name for Matchless. Phil Jameson, yep. Yep, Phil. So we're going to get him on. Um, so, yeah, it's still in the works. Um, <laughs> Jim Becker, Buffer Bay is the cat's fuzzy nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. I like that. Uh, Thank you. Guess? <laughs> uh, have a good night, Johnny. Um, Chapman's are really nice. L. Scott Music says, I love the next. Yeah, I've never played one, but I hear they're cool. Um, Dave, what do you have, or what do you do with the guitars Henning licked? We burn them. We don't want his diseases on them. Could the rain be worse than Winter Nam 2017? That was horrible. I don't know. We've had some really bad Sweetwater ones. Really bad. Last year was not great. But I had worse before. Where you have to park across the street and take a trolley, but once you park your car, you have to walk to the trolley. So the walking to the tro trolley, but by, by the time you got to the tro trolley, you took a shower. Hmm. Literally, your clothes were just soaked completely through to the bone. <laughs> that sounds. This crazy. is when after that is when we started. We bought umbrellas, and I keep them with the guy that comes with me uh, to to these shows, uh, Dave, hmm. and uh, we keep them at his house. So we 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 now come in the car prepared with two umbrellas. And also a box of uh, trash bags so we can make makeshift parkas. <laughs> Believe um, me, it's it's good. <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, speaking, I, I haven't booked my hotel yet. Okay. Over there. Is there any place you recommend to stay? Uh, I can give you the hotel that we're staying at. I don't know if there's anything left. Okay. I know that Marriott's booked, but other than that. Oh, I mean, yeah, the, the Courier Marriott's been booked forever. We couldn't even get that. Okay. That's a good one, too. All right. Well, I'll hit you up on the side. You'll tell me where you're staying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Nathan Warner, anybody else looking forward to the new John Sykes release? Need more Sykes. Uh, wonder if John has played Ace Friedman yet. I don't know. I'm, nope. He hasn't. And yeah, hopefully it'll be good. Dave, I bought your Friedman guitar. This is from Braxel. Do you ever have issues with the nameplate coming loose on the headstock since the Surprisingly not really. I understand what you're saying. But surprisingly it hasn't really been a problem. Yeah, I have mine. It has, it's it's on there good. Yeah. Is Monster Cables about to go under, the observer asked. Oh, who knows? I don't know. Well, don't buy their cables. Um, Mark, can you boost your mic a touch? Sure. I can bring it a little closer. Um, Jerry Garcia, I think he's referring to Sharon Osbourne. Because she burned Jake, uh, she burned everybody. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dave, when is your Univibe coming? From Lou Sequoia. Don't know. Not yet. Okay. Uh, what's up, Jay? Seven over eight. How are you doing? Um, 
Okay, I have a DS40 100 Deluxe on order and was wondering what's the best Friedman amp mod route uh, for the that crystal clean sound but a Friedman. What's the best mod route? But he said, what's the best Friedman amp slash mod route for that crystal clean sound? On which amp? Well, he says he has a DS40, a Dirty, dirty Shilly 40, and a 100 on, on order. Well, I mean, the 100's clean channel will get clean. It's not all gritty. So try that first. Okay. Other, other than that, we do make a clean amp, the Bucks and Betty. Um, yeah, the Bucks and Betty, right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Robert Baker is working with Sweetwater, I heard someone said. Don't know that. Could be. I mean, he's he'll be at Sweetwater, I think, but I don't know if he's working. Yes, yeah, he will. Yeah. Um, has any anyone checked out Matt Schofield? I've heard. I mean, I've seen. Yeah, great. Great player. Uh, did any of you guys have experiences with Ed Roman while he was alive? No, but um, the, he's the, he's got a, a lot of stories. <laughs> there are a lot of stories about Ed Roman. Yeah, notorious. Yeah. I once called over there to see about getting a lefty guitar. I didn't speak to him, though. So, many years ago. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Todd Flowers. Dude, he's a great uh, monster player. Yep. Um, yeah. Someone said Rick Beato would possibly be a great guest. Yeah, Rick Beato yes, would, would. That would be great. I'd love I'd like, to have. Yeah, I like Rick. His videos yeah. are really, really cool. That would be good. We should reach out to him. That would be great. I did, but I don't think he's he's pretty popular these days. He's mm. not answering me. <laughs> He'll answer you, though, Dave. Maybe I'll try a different uh, approach. Yeah, he might answer you. Yeah, I'm too small time. <laughs> No one knows. That's about it for our, 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 about that's about it for our questions here. Yeah, I think so. We've hit the questions. So I want I want to thank John Cusack for joining us from Cusack Music. Um, John, where can people uh, find your stuff? Find your products. Um, well, start by looking at the website cusackmusic.com or mojohandfx.com. Those are the two websites for our two brands. Um, and from there they can look at the dealer pages and see, you know, what dealers have our stuff. Okay, cool. Right. Awesome. Um, maybe, maybe in Sweetwater someday if I, if, uh, you know, we can get in there. Yeah. That's one we're still working on. That's gotta be tough. Yeah. I can imagine. I think, um, J rocket audio just got in there with them, right? I don't know. I thought I thought I saw Chris Fantasso wrote. Um, so Jerry Garcia wrote, "Hey Tone Talk, he lives in South Florida. You should check him out if you get a chance." Who? Rick Beato. He lives in Florida. Rick Beato. Maybe I don't know. I didn't know that. Okay. Well, let me know. Well, check out Cusack Music. Check out his pedals. He makes great stuff. Um, John, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, 
and I hope you have a great weekend. Hang on with us while I while I end the show. Like I mentioned, we're going to have Nilly Brosh on next. Great guitar player, um, and uh, she, we're gonna, like I said, she wasn't available on the 28th, so we're going to have to reschedule. So it'll either be the 27th or another day after that, and we'll all make the announcement on Facebook. You guys, make sure you hit the subscribe button on the channel, please, um, and hit the thumbs up. But make sure you subscribe and hit the bell for notifications. And uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. We're going to be at Sweetwater Gear Fest. Together, Dave and I, which will be cool. It'll be my fun, my first time, and it'll be fun. Um, and that'll be it. So, thanks again, John. Thanks, Dave. All right, thanks, guys. You got it. Hang on one second while I end it.